Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up? This is Rich. My Take Radio episode 22 for Thursday, December 3rd, 2009. Uh, the intro music you just heard was The Omen of Geneva. The artist is Neko Frog One, N-E-K-O Frog, F-R-O-G, the number one. If you're interested in downloading that track or any of the other songs that have been used in previous episodes of My Take Radio, head over to ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. If you'd like to call in to speak to me or any of tonight's guests, by all means call in 347-324-3541 is the number. And with that, let's get into a little bit of housekeeping. My guest this evening is going to be Rachel from the website MMAHotStuff.com. She runs the site. She will be providing a little bit of insight from a woman's perspective regarding all of the goings-on in MMA uh, regarding UFC, Strike Force, WEC, The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, she should be joining me between 11.15 or 11.30, and uh, she'll be able to share some insight. Uh, so definitely stick around for that, and I will be taking your calls. Um, also, the art contest, which, of course, is in full effect. Um, please make sure that any entries that you are planning to submit are in by December 10th because at that point, uh, the, you know, the entries will be closed and I will be reviewing the entries throughout that week and announcing the winner for the 17th episode. So uh, please definitely get your entries in. I'm starting to get some in, and I want to start putting them up on the Facebook fan page as well as the My Take Radio website so you guys can have the opportunity to comment and also you know, share your thoughts on some of the entries. It's definitely going to be uh, interesting considering some of the stuff I have gotten. Uh, some of the other stuff we'll be discussing tonight, of course, is going to be the Ultimate Fighter, the Ultimate Fighter finale, which is Saturday, uh, the upcoming UFC with the lightweight title match with Diego Sanchez and BJ Penn. I'm going to rage a little bit on Vern Troyer, a.k.a. Mini-Me, hosting Monday Night Raw this week. Uh, definitely not one of the better episodes in terms of hosts. Uh, Mark Cuban will be hosting it next week. I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, WWE comic books. Yeah, WWE comic books are going to be coming out. I'm going to give uh, my take on that. The death of ECW, um, a little bit of Killer Instinct news, some Black Friday numbers in terms of some of the stuff that uh, went on in terms of console sales as well as movie sales. Um, I want to talk about J.J. Abrams and his involvement with the Samurai Jack uh, franchise. And, of course, last but not least, I want to talk about uh, the juggernaut known as New Moon and how the Twilight franchise plans to fuck over the fans a little more. So I'm going to try and get to all of that stuff uh, throughout the broadcast, depending on how everything goes with Rachel. Also, uh, last but not least, um, 
the chat, of course, is active, and um, you know, I just ask that you guys keep shit a little clean. Not, I'm not asking you guys to run it like a church, but definitely, you know, self-police. Just because I will not be uh, in there as often today, just because I want to focus my attention to tonight's guest. So, uh, fellow members and fellow, of course, listeners in the chat, please, you know, just police yourselves. I don't want to have to babysit you guys. And uh, I noticed that I've been doing that the last few weeks, and it's uh, very time-consuming. So keep y'all shit in order. I don't want to have to use a red font or the mad face this week. Also, um, regarding the upcoming episodes, of course, uh, Christmas Eve falls on a Thursday, and uh, that day I cook for my family for the Christmas Eve, given that uh, Hispanic people tend to celebrate it on the 24th. As such, there will more than likely be a show on the 23rd or the 22nd. I'll have further details uh, closer to that week. Um, regarding the following show, New Year's Eve, of course, falls on a Thursday, so I will probably be doing the show same thing, either the 29th or the 30th, at which point um, odds are maybe the show for the 30th will be a best of, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Um, it looks like we have our first caller on the line, and it may be our guest. Caller, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, not. All I hear is buzzing. Sounds like somebody is uh, shaving some sheep in the background. No idea what that is, but uh, whoever it is can by all means call back. Also, like I was saying, regarding the broadcast, the, um, the shows for New Year's week, like I said, may be a best of or it may just be a, uh, a retro My Take Radio. We'll see. I mean, just because I need, I need a little bit of a break. And in terms of guests, I'm working on a couple of guests in the pipe. Um, I should have some announcements for that more than likely either the 10th or the 17th once, once they are official. For those of you that tuned in last week and uh, listened to the Darksiders episode, I did um, get a chance to leave Hayden a Twitter message, and I also spoke to the guys from THQ, and Hayden and maybe Han will be back in January after the release of Darksiders to just discuss the game a little further, and of course, you know, I'll be able to give a full full review on the title and let you guys know my thoughts, so definitely look forward to that in January. Um, also, for those of you that are in Iowa, Brooks will be performing this weekend in Dubuque, so anybody that's listening that's in Iowa, you know, go show Brooks a little love. Um, I'm hoping to try and get him back within the next week or two, and also for... Uh, those of you that are fans of the Deadliest Warrior, uh, the season does start um, in 2010. I believe it's in March, and I have on good authority that those guys are definitely going to want to come back. So that's definitely going to be one of the things that is on tap for the, the better part of 2010. So Darksiders and Deadliest Warrior will be back in 2010. Um, before I uh, see if the young lady's on the phone, a uh, little bit of the MMA news I'll get out of the way beforehand. Uh, last week I said that Carl Parisian dropped out of the UFC pay-per-view because of some issues with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. As it turns out, um, it seems that he's having some substance abuse issues relating to an addiction to painkillers. 
Um, Dana White actually spoke on that on MMA Junkie Radio. He stated regarding Carl Parisian the following. He said Carl Parisian has a lot of problems, mental, emotional, and physical. He's got all kinds of problems. I had no idea he'd pull out, White said. Never in a million years I thought he'd do it again. And he also states the UFC tried to help. I tried to help him several times. When I say tried to help him, I went above and beyond the call of duty on that one. I won't go public with the details, but I've done a lot for that kid, and the, st- and the kid stuck it to me. He stuck it to me hard. Um, you know, I'm going to be quite honest. I don't like Carl Parisian. I don't like um, how he presents himself as a fighter, whether it's because, you know, he's – I just – there's something about him that doesn't strike me personally as being very fan-friendly. I just don't like the dude. Now, you know – I'm I'm going to be honest, as a fan of any sport, you're not going to like every team. You're not going to like everybody. It, it Shit just happens. You're not going to be a fan of it. Now, given what he has going on, you know, I wish him the best. You know, um, addiction to painkillers is, is one of those things that troubles many athletes, and trying to break it is uh, very hard. I actually, when I was hurt, when I hurt my shoulder, you know, took some painkillers and stuff. And, you know, nothing as strong as the stuff these guys take. But what happens is when you're, when you're taking these painkillers, your body uh, adjusts really quick. And there are times when you think that it hurts. And you're like, oh, yeah, let me pop a pill, you know, because it hurts. But what happens is that sometimes the body will register um, the impression of pain in order to deal with um, – you, you know, giving it drugs. It's kind of like when people go through withdrawal, you know, that abuse cocaine or heroin or things of that nature. What happens is, you know, your body goes through withdrawal, and that happens a lot with painkillers. It's very unfortunate given the fact that, you know, the body just goes into this mode where it it becomes so dependent on these drugs, and it's really fucked up. And, you know, I'm not going to go into whether the UFC helped him or did, did they help him enough, but, you know, Something like that is, is, for all intents and purposes, very serious because especially the dependence on things like, you know, codeine, um, oxycodone, things of that nature, you know, they, they rip your body up. Even though, you know, they help um, with inflammation and help you heal faster, you know, there's, there's uh, toxicity levels that can go up, liver damage that can go up. You know, it's a really fucked up situation, and the fact that, you know, when they were talking about him talking to the um, the Nevada State Athletic Commission and, you know, telling him, hey, I'm on some stuff, is that right there kind of showed that he was not 100% in the game. And on top of the fact, you run the risk of possibly um, – shit, I lost my train of thought. You, you run the risk of, you know, possibly not feeling any pain. You've got to take into account where, say, you take, you know – oxycodone and it's whatever, uh, a, decent, a decent amount of milligrams, and you're getting punched in the face and, you know, the pills numb you to that pain. You know, you might be taking an ass whooping, but what's going to end up happening is the guy's going to get gassed beating your ass, which is, which is funny in some respects, but it's really fucked up because what happens is at that point, the fight, your opponent will be gassed and you can easily, you know, either choke him out or knock him out. It's, it's one of those things where... It is a performance-enhancing drug on one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, you know, it may hinder your performance, you know, in terms of slurred speech, uh, poor um, physical response, 
shit of that nature. So it, it may also hinder you in getting knocked the fuck out. So, you know, the thing with, with Caro is, is just really weird because, you know, it happened before when he got suspended for um, using a prescribed medication, you know, well, supposedly non-prescribed medication. And, you know, he was probably on something similar now and just didn't want to get bagged considering that he had to pay the fine. I personally hope that he gets the monkey off his back and he heals up, not because, you know, I'm a fan of his because, honestly, I just don't like the guy as a fighter. But just seeing anybody go through that shit, that's, that's a real emotional toll, and um, I wish him the best. And with that said, I believe this may be our guest on the phone. Let's try this again. You're on the air. Nothing. Guess not. <laughs> All right, let's just run through a little bit of the other MMA news. Uh, Gabriel Gonzaga uh, was supposed to be fighting Junior Dos Santos at UFC 108. Not happening. He's actually pulling out because he has a staph infection. Um, the UFC hasn't made an official announcement yet from what I gathered in terms of a replacement opponent, but I'm more than sure that we will be seeing Dos Santos fight on the card. Um, last week and the week before, I kind of touched on another thing, and it's uh, good old Fedor. And it seems that the guys that deal with Fedor are of the, of, the, of the thinking that, you know, if Brock Lesnar can really beat Fedor, then he should come to Russia and they'd be willing to let Fedor fight Brock Lesnar for free and just settle it once and for all who the best heavyweight is. No pay-per-view, no nothing. Just Brock Lesnar goes to Russia and fights Fedor. Now, before I get into what Dane White said, I... Um, I'm going to touch a little bit on this because this is one of those things that, you know, annoys me when management talks for the fighters. Now, Fedor, of course, doesn't speak English, has a translator. Let's, 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 let's take that first. So if Fedor needs to convey any type of response, you know, given that the guy has zero emotion, he would speak to his translator. Translator would then, you know, relay his feelings and so on and so forth. When management gets involved in anything, and this is just my personal opinion, when they get involved in shit, especially with fighters, shit gets fucked up. Because unless you're the spokesman for that fighter, you don't really know what the fighter's thinking. You're, you know, in some instances, you're going out there, running your mouth, writing checks your ass can't cash. That's what it is, and management tends to just run their mouth a lot. And regarding the Fedor thing, it seems that a lot of suits do the talking, you know, I mean, Dana White included, and not the fighters. I mean, Brock Lesnar's going on record saying, hey, you know, I'll fight Fedor, and I'll break his fucking face. Duly noted. Brock, you know, Fedor has nothing but positive things to say about Brock Lesnar. He says positive things about everybody. I actually have never seen him say anything negative about any of his opponents, which is, which is pretty cool, you know. He just seems like a real classy dude in respect to that. And the fact is that if both of these guys are the number one guys in the world, then you know what? Let them talk, speak for themselves. Brock Lesnar has said it in print, and he said it in interviews, that he's more than ready and willing and able to fight Fedor. In Fedor's case, you know, his answers are usually, you know, pretty, pretty on the, on the level, but his management are just fucking like, yeah, you know, fucking UFC, they didn't want to fucking work with us, this, that, and the third. Then, boom, it comes back. Dana goes, yeah, well, these guys wanted, like, a stadium, and they wanted 50% of our business, and yada, yada, yada. 
Dana White is usually on the level. He says pretty much what he feels. And given what he's been saying about the negotiations with Fedor, he said it. He's like, look, if Fedor called me up tomorrow, Fedor, or, well, Fedor and his translator, you know, I'd be, I'd, I'm ready to negotiate, but I can't deal with these other fucking guys. And you know what? In some respects, I, I, I can agree with where he's coming from because you really want to just deal with the fighter. You're, you're, the only thing you give a shit about is the fighter. And he said that before. He's like, look, I just want my dude to fight your dude. I don't want to fucking build arenas with you. I don't want to build stadiums with you. I don't want to split my profits with you. And relating to that, here's what he had to say. Um, of course, full credit goes to MMAJunkie.com because that's where uh, the interview is from. Fade, um, they asked him on Fedor wanting to fight Brock for free. He goes, they'll do the fight for free? That's fucking weird because I offered them millions of dollars to take the fight, and he didn't take it. Now Emelianenko wants to fight for free when and where. I'd love him to fight for free. I'd make that shit happen right now for free. Let's do it. And, of course, they asked him regarding the negotiation process with M1. He goes, it's funny that they say they'll do it for free now. When they were dealing with us and negotiating with us, they wanted 50% of our business, White said. They wanted 50% of our business to do that fight, but now they'll do it for free. Millen, who's um, the guy who was speaking for Fedor when he said this, is a fucking clown that talks out of his ass and has no business discussing, discussing, discussing negotiations, White said. That guy is a nobody. When we did the big Fedor negotiations, you think he was in it? He wasn't even in it. That guy's full of shit. Tell him to go frost his fucking hair again and beat it. You don't think I want to make that fight? Of course I want to make that fight, but it takes two people to make a deal, not one guy. Can't argue with that. The man is speaking truth. The fact is that in, re in reference to that, you know, the, there's no arguing that. It's like, look, you know, how are you just going to come in for one guy? I mean, whatever. Fedor is good. But in order to get 50% of my fucking business, you're insane. You're out of your fucking mind to even think that the UFC would bend over and take it in the ass like that. I don't know if Strike Force fucking bent over to do that, but if they are, they are royally getting fucked. And I'm going to go on record and say the reason I say that is because when Fedor fought Brett Rogers, Fedor is dominant. He is. That's why he's the fucking the number one guy in the world. But for some reason, I noticed he wasn't all in. There was a, 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 fraction, a fraction of a second that I said, hey, man, Brett Rogers might take this shit. And, you know, whatever the case may be, Fedor won. But the fact is that he is human and he can lose. And I'm starting to think that after the fight with Rogers, not to say that he's scared of Brock Lesnar because, you know, these guys are fighters. I, I really doubt they're scared of anybody. I honestly think... That, not, not that he's second-guessing himself, but he's just like, look, man, I just want to get the fight over with and don't want to deal with the bullshit. I think that there's a part of him, and once again, this is just my opinion. I honestly think that he's afraid that what, that what happened to Mirko Krokop will happen to him if he fights in the UFC, and that's that he just won't get it. You know, like, whether it's being in the octagon or things of that nature, he's just not going to get it. And I honestly think that that might be something that's in the back of his mind. And uh, with that, I actually think that is our caller on the line. You're Hello? on the air. Hey. Hi. Hey. What's this going on? How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I uh, didn't know you were on hold. The switchboard was uh, minimized. 
No worries. Um, of course, but before we get into before we get into the meat and potatoes, you know, tell the listeners a, a, a bit about your site and a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Rachel, and I'm the, I guess, site owner of MMA Hot Stuff, where I talk about MMA from a girl's perspective. How and long have you been really on the site? Um, maybe about a year and a half, two years now. And, you know, the goal or the purpose of it is to educate women on the sport, um, just kind of gain that acceptance and hopefully, you know, do my small part in helping the sport go mainstream. Well, I'll tell you off the bat that you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my uh, my wife showed me your site, and I was like, wow, this is this is no joke. <laughs> you know, she yeah, knows, you know, she knows her shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm definitely having a good time with it. Um, I do have a full-time job as well as a few other initiatives that I'm working on. So, you know, unfortunately, I don't have all that much time to dedicate to it. Um, but I'm definitely having a good time with it and just trying to balance not only, you know, writing, but what really do I want to write about? What is my opinion? What is my perspective? You know, I'm not into breaking news, and, um, you know, there are enough sites out there that are doing that and have an entire team to do it. Really, I'm, you know, highlighting what I think is interesting, uh, what's going on, a couple interviews, cover events, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm definitely having a good time, and I appreciate the feedback. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I enjoyed about your site was that, and that's the fact that, you know, there was no there was no hidden agenda. You were presenting it you know, just just from your perspective. There was no oh, you know, th- there was no hidden message behind it. It was just like, look, I'm a woman. I'm a fan of the sport, and here's how I feel about certain things. There was no you know pro uh, a poor term, but you know a pro feminist agenda. It was just hey, I'm I'm a woman. I like MMA. This is how I feel about it, and it, it was yeah, refreshing you know- to see. Thank you. Yeah, I have quite a few girlfriends that have said to me many times, you know, how can you like that sport? It's so violent. And I think people say that that clearly don't understand what the sport is about. So I've taken, you know, I had the approach, I was taking the approach of I was learning it myself, and, you know, I wanted to explain things as I learned them. And I did have or I do have a, one, you know, MMA 101 um, page that goes through a lot of the basics because, it's hard and almost intimidating to enjoy a sport if you don't know anything about it. So I, you know, I have been trying to lay that foundation. Um, and really, I'm, as I said, I'm having fun. The people that I've met um, have been very um, supportive and embracing the fact that I am just a girl trying to learn the sport and kind of find my way around it. And um, yeah, no hidden agendas whatsoever. My fiance is a, um, a fighter and trains um, here in San Francisco with um, Gilbert Melendez and, and that crew, Jake Shields and the Diaz brothers. Um, so, you know, it's become part of our lifestyle. These are our friends, people we hang out with. Um, now we go, you know, Valentine's Day dinners is all about MMA and fights that were happening that weekend and, and what was um, coming up. And, you know, it's a lifestyle and I'm really having a lot of fun with it. Now, what drew you? What drew you into the sport? I mean, besides the fact that you're, you know, in, involved with 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 a, with a fighter. I mean, what what got your attention? What what made you say, "Wow, I could really get into this"? You know, I'm a sports fan um, at large. In fact, upstairs we have the Civil War game on TV. So if it gets loud, that's why. Um, I am a sports fan, and and I think no matter what the sport is. I have the ability to either root for the underdog if I don't know what's going on, if I don't really have a favorite, 
I'll root for the underdog. Um, or if I take a liking to a team or a, an athlete, a specific athlete, I'll cheer them on regardless of the sport. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a hockey fan, but I would never turn it off. Um, and this was a sport, you know, my fiance and I actually kind of got involved right around the same time. He was a collegiate wrestler and he wanted to get back into training and he wrestled under Randy Couture and, at OSU. And I think that was kind of what stimulated him or um, got him excited is, you know, he missed that individual or independent ability to train hard and kind of compete. So he dipped his toes in it. And before I know it, I'm reading up about it to understand the sport so I could know what he was talking about. Um, I took a boxing, <laughs> I took a boxing class um, so I could hold pads with him while he would warm up for fights. Um, and I just, you know, I wouldn't say I'm an athlete, but I just got involved in understanding what the sport was about, started to meet the fighters. And I started a blog a long time ago, and it was um, just a general blog about my life. And I would blog about my friends, my family, my dog. Um, the next thing I knew, I was blogging about a recap of a given UFC fight. And I had some small traffic. <laughs> and then it just kind of took off on its own, and I started my own, you know, bought the URL MMA Hot Stuff Um and people now, you know, I met the ESPN crew, uh, the ESPN MMA live crew at, I guess it was UFC 100, and they all knew me as MMA Hot Stuff and didn't even know my real name. And it, wow. that has, the brand itself has just kind of taken off to be my identity. Um, and I, I enjoy <laughs> that, and it's fine. Um, but I, I would prefer people to know my name. Um, but I guess that's not a bad thing. People, you know, affiliate you so much with your brand. And it's a brand, you know, that I'm kind of proud of. Um, I do have support from people who I would consider, you know, mentors and very highly well-respected individuals within the sport. And you can't really ask for more than that. I mean, I would love it if this were my full-time um, job. And while I, it feels like it is a lot of times, um, you know, I'm definitely not making <laughs> full-time money off of it but I really can't ask for anything more. I'm, I'm just having fun with it at this point. Well, I mean, you're, you're, this is a purely optional. You can answer it, but, I mean, what, what do you do when you're, not, when you're not running the site? I mean, what, what's your 9 to 5? <laughs> I this work is not, This for... is not my 9 to 5, so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, I work for a creative agency I'm here in San Francisco, and um, I manage um, – a group of, I would say, new business development managers, and we help companies with their marketing strategy, whether it be print magazines, digital websites, um, many things. Um, so it, it's completely different. It's not sports-oriented whatsoever. Um, I, it's just really generating a lot of business development opportunities, I guess I would say. Well, it's funny that you say that, that it's, you know, it's it's purely not – um, sports related because if you're in in a marketing background and you're you know in, in involved in promoting any kind of brand, I can I see how it carried over into your site. So it did. Even, I mean, it, subconsciously, it did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you know that's even MMA hot stuff. Um, the fan the fan house guys were asking me, you know, how did I pick that name? Um, because I. I want to make sure everyone knows, like, I never talk about – there are some people out there, some women out there that talk about, oh, they went out with fighters and they met fighters and you, you two can date a fighter sort of thing. That's clearly not my angle at all, and I'm very anti that. Um, and the hot stuff was really not not hot me hot stuff. 
it was more the hot news that's going on or just, you know, that was my goal. And it just kind of turned into something a little differently. But MMA had to be in the name from, you know, an SEO perspective. And I wanted to make sure it was ranked and whatnot um, highly. And you're right. I mean, that comes, I guess, from the marketing background in me. Well, you know, it's funny because I um, – when I – when I first read about it, you know, because I, as as I um started adding more to the MMA segment and you know things regarding the show and just bringing my own knowledge into it, you know, I I saw a lot of your posts on Twitter and I'm like, wow, this this girl really gets around, you know, in terms of just you know rapport with the fighters and and you know just just putting stuff out there and I was like, huh, but you know I didn't think anything of it and then, you know my wife comes to me and she's like, hey, you know you really should check out this girl's site and I'm like uh, what is it and she was telling me and she's like you know it's really cool and she you know she she talks about MMA totally different because it's true when I read it I was like eh, it might be you know um, you know cage girl photos or right. things of that nature so that was my first response so you know I sat down one night I was like you know what let me, let me check it out and um, I went through the site I you know I read a lot of your interviews I read some of the stuff and I was like hey you know she would be great to, to to call on my show because because of that and you know i enjoyed i enjoyed the fresh take on it and one thing that i had wanted to ask you was do you feel that you know as a woman and now that women are are, are fighting competitively in mma do you feel that there's always that pigeonhole that the only reason you you know that women watch is cause, oh you know that the, that's a the, you know hot guys fighting on tv do you, do you still feel that that's a um a stigma that's surrounding especially female fans of of a combat sport or is it something that you feel is now falling by the wayside in terms of, you know, just becoming more accepted? You know, I think there's a little bit of both. Um, I've, I've made a very conscious effort to stay away from the looks of fighters and, um, you know, the appeal, the physical appeal, I guess you would say, or the physiques of fighters, um, and I've really made a very conscious effort. And I can tell you the one time that I've said something about that, um, and I think it was about Tyson Griffin in his shorts. And I contemplated it before, and I didn't write it in a post. I just tweeted about it or something. <laughs> and even contemplated going back and deleting that tweet. So I think there's always going to be some stigma associated to it because it's funny. I try to play either you could say both sides or neither side of the fence. I don't want to be associated in that, you know, talking about the fighters' looks. And at the same time, I'm not pro-women, and I never cover the women in the sport at all. Um, I think it's great that there are women that are out there that fight and compete, and some of the best fights I've seen have been between women. It's just not something that I personally want to cover. I don't personally have, uh, you know, that preference in talking about the women and their ability to fight. Um, Wow, that's that's really interesting. (laughs) I know it makes probably no sense, but I just I think well, I and it's been entertaining. It's just not something that I really want to promote. It's hard enough to kind of keep up with the guys and and what's going on in the news there. Um, and quite frankly, I don't think the demand is really there at this point um, to justify my time in doing that. But yeah, I think you're right. I think the stigma is always going to be there to a certain extent, and until. You know, there are some women that are out there covering the sport that way, and I think because of that, the stigma will always be there. Yeah, there's always going to be a couple that look at it from a more superficial standpoint. I mean, my wife became a fan because she came in. I was watching the the first season of The Ultimate Fighter, and Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I think it, I think it was Lieben that was bleeding all over the place. She's like, "What are you watching?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's the Ultimate Fighter." And she's like, "She's like, what's it about?" And I'm like, "Oh, these dudes are competing to become cage fighters." And she's just watch. She's like, "Holy shit, his face got busted open." And this is on on cable. I'm like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Oh, this is pretty cool." And then the next week, she's like, "Did you record the the episode for this week?" And I was like, "That's it. She's hooked." And then um, <laughs> the uh, the Tito and Shamrock season just solidified it for her. Because she became a fan of Tito at that point, and she was like, she was like, this, you know, this guy's fucking awesome, and she was like, wow, this is, you know, she really got into it. So now, you know, it's a thing where, you know, we we get to watch all the fights together, and you know, she has her own favorite fighters, and you know, it, it works out really well. And when women started fighting, you know, when we started watching, um, when Gina Carano first fought, I said to myself, wow, this 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 girl is gonna change the fight game completely because, you know, she has, you know, marketability, you know, she's easy on the eyes and she fights pretty violently, you know, like they were, you know, when they started talking about her Muay Thai background and things of that nature. So, you know, it added, it added an extra dynamic, which, you know, kind of made things this interesting. The only thing that bothers me in relation to um, female fights is that they're not classified as, you know, this is going to be, they end up calling it attraction which I don't like because it gives it a sideshow vibe. If you've ever caught any of the recent female fights, listen for that. It's like, a, oh, this is a women's MMA attraction fight or, or special attraction. You know, like it's some sideshow yeah. shit, which I, I don't like. I think that, you know, um, a lot of people say, oh, you know, the, the women shouldn't be fighting. And, you know, there's always that look. The way I see it is we're equal pretty much in everything. You know, I, 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 unless there, there's a, a women's football league, which, you know, who knows if that'll ever happen. But in terms of everything else, we're pretty equal. I think that if a guy can get punched in the face and it's, it's you know, readily accepted and there's women's boxing, why can't, um, you know, why can't a girl punch another girl in the face and have just as much fanfare? So, you know, I really thought yeah. it was kind of a turning of the corner, but it still bothers me that there's that freak show aspect I think in relation right. to there absolutely is some of that. Um, and I'm probably just as guilty um, in that, and maybe I should cover it. It's just there aren't, unfortunately, enough um, women fighters or fights out there to have the momentum, quite honestly, for me to even take my time um, to cover them right now, and maybe that will change. But to get back to your wife and getting involved in the sport, I think that, that was the exact moment and with Tito that drew me to the sport. And I think whether you start to watch the sport because, oh, you do think a guy may be attractive enough to sit there and watch a couple of fights until you understand the sport, that I get. Um, and whatever it is it takes to kind of get that hook for you to, you know, want to learn more makes sense. So it's funny that you bring up the fact that it was Tito for her because it was Tito for me as well. <laughs> Yeah, he's he. You know what it is? He's a, he's a great he's a great salesman, and I definitely want to talk about his fight with Forrest with you. And um, what I did want to ask you about is, in terms of your your you know your your husband fighting, how do you how do you adjust to that? Because I know that you know in terms of you know cutting weight, things of that nature. Uh, you know, how do you feel being on that side? You know, on that side of the coin, seeing that unfold. Is it something where you're like? Holy, holy shit! You know, I have to, I have to live with this a, a couple of months out of the year. Like, is it something that's not a strain, but is it something that's just interesting to watch from, you know, from from a from a fishbowl perspective? Like the like when you're watching him cut weight or or training, you're like, wow, this is this is some serious stuff. It is. Um, 
you know, I, I it took me a while, I think, to adapt to his routine of, you know, once you get into training mode, it's completely different. I mean, he trains a lot now as is, but if you're training for a fight, you know, it's a couple times a day, you know, every day. Um, as far as cutting weight, you know, he's, he's a wrestler at heart. So I think he's just kind of used to cutting weight if you ever can really get used to it. Um, I'd say he's as used to it as he possibly can be. Um, and, you know, he, the first couple of times were hard, but, you know, now I get it. And now our, our recipes and how we cook is much different than it was before he started training. Um, but what I'm trying to do is there's a lot that you don't see unless you live with a fighter, I would say. Um, so what I've done is I'm in the midst and about to launch another site or community called MMA Socialites, and I'm launching it in conjunction with um, one of the fighter's wives. And he is um, – I don't want to announce who it is just yet, but we'll say he is a very very well-known UFC fighter. Um, so nice. his wife and I are actually launching MMA Socialites, which is going to – really try to showcase the fighters from our perspective and what you may not see. Um, I really want to humanize the fighters. I don't want people to see just, you know, they are who they are in the cage because they're usually very, very different than what you see in the cage. What you see in the cage is, you know, their game time face. And and that's not who they are. Um, you know, they are fathers and brothers and husbands, and, you know, they do have other interests outside the cage. So that's what the purpose of this community is going to be, and hopefully we launch it. Uh, hopefully beginning of next week, if not this weekend. Um, so oh, it's a group you definitely got to keep me up with that. Yeah, it's a group of us, and like I said, we're, we'll probably cover, um, you know, events as much as we can. We'll still do a lot of what MMA hot stuff is, but it's going to be a bigger group of us, and uh, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff that you wouldn't normally see anywhere else. You know, you see the MMA weeklies and junkies and yahoos and fan house, um, and it's usually more about the fights and the fighters getting ready for their fights and less about the personal side of it. Uh, I, I actually like that because, you know, what's funny, I mean, I cover it. I mean, if you've heard any previous episodes, I cover it as a fan, and there's certain things that I, that I get really passionate about. I mean, I, I was a martial artist growing up. Um, I haven't gone into MMA because I just don't have the time with a 9-to-5 job. But, um, you know, it's, it's always in the back of my mind, and I always, you know, I always tell my, my wife, like, hey, if I got into it, you know, you know, and I wanted to go pro, you know, how would, you know, how would you feel? She's like, hey, you know, she's like, who knows? But I definitely think that there would be a lot of wincing when you get punched in the face. So, <laughs> you know, that's one of those things that, you know, you kind of have to make a really conscious decision in terms of going all in. And, you know, I give, I give a lot of these guys credit because that, that, that's a big step. It's like, yeah, I'm going to quit my job. I'm not going to do anything else except, you know, eat chicken breast and steamed broccoli, sit in a sauna, and get punched in the face. And I'm yeah. going to try and do this as much as I humanly can until I make it to, until I make it to the upper echelons, you know, whether Strike Force or WEC or um, right. any of the other promotions. You know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a big commitment. And, you know, that's one of those things that, for me personally, I said, I don't know if I can go all in for something like that yet. So, you know, those, that, those guys that are out there, you know, they, they, they get my respect. You know, it's a, it's an ass whooping, for real. It absolutely is, and you know when you make that decision to kind of go over and, and try to give it your all, and this is what you're going to do full time. You know, some of these guys 
quit their careers or put their careers on hold to do it and you know to go from a really well-paying job um, to a very low-paying job and potentially an unknown and you know how long can you do it for and what if you get hurt and you know you've seen a lot of the conversations lately where fighters are saying they don't have insurance it's definitely a huge decision that these guys you know i can't speak for everyone but you know for us and personally it was a big decision but i think if this is your passion this is what you're going to do and um yeah very few fighters get to the level where they're making you know a lot of money um and you can find out what the ufc guys are making on their cards or on their fights and mind you that's only what their purses are and not what they're getting from their sponsors but yeah it's a lot of hard work and uh it has to be something you want to do i guess (laughs) yeah i mean i I mean it's it's there i just don't want to be one of those guys that all of a sudden has that moment of clarity when you're like 35 and then you know it just blows up in your face but um, enough yeah. of that. I'm not. I'm not gonna go into that any further. I'm gonna <laughs> uh, try to stick to the task at hand. And um, first off, um, the Ultimate Fighter finale. Were you um, surprised with the results, or was it something that you were you were expecting? You were like, all right, you know, the guys that won needed to win. I definitely want to hear what you have to say before I I, I open my trap because it's gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, un- unfortunately, I got the results early. So I didn't see it um, kind of play out real time, if you will. Um, so I can't say that there was a, an element of shock or a surprise or, you know, my expectations were uh, it was given to me before I even had to watch it. Um, I do think the season was kind of weak. You know, we saw some good, a couple good fights maybe. Um, You're not overall, overall, not my favorite season. Um, I do think you you have folks, you know, like Brandon, who have been fighting with um, really solid teams, and I'm not surprised to see, you know, he was good, um, and I'm not surprised to see him, be, you know, be in the finals, and I think that he's definitely had a lot of good uh, training since he left the house and, uh, and this weekend. Well, you know, it's funny because, and, I, and I'll tell you, I've I've watched every episode and every week, you know, it usually comes on right before I broadcast. Um, tonight, be, you know, tonight being the only exception. Every week I come on, and every week, you know, I say the same things. I'm like, look, you know, this isn't the Rashad coaching show. This isn't the Rampage stand-up show. This is the Ultimate Fighter. This is where, you know, 16 guys go in there, beat the shit out of each other to become, you know, to get a contract to go into the UFC. It's not about titty jokes or I'm going to beat up this door this week, or, you know, just just real non... Um, you're going to hear a lot of four-letter words out of me in case... It <laughs> no worries, no worries. <laughs> um, you know, you hear... It, it just became a lot of jokes, and, and don't get me wrong, I like, I like um, comedic, the comedic aspect when appropriate, but when, you know, a one-hour show has 22 minutes of Rampage saying titties, or dancing with Kimbo or, you know, just, just things of that nature just becomes a little mundane and it started really getting under my skin and it really kind of turned me against Rampage a little bit. And I, I love Rampage to death. I've watched him since the pride days. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, you know, what, what are you doing to me? You're like turning me against you, you know? And then the whole thing with the A team and, you know, I kind of understood where he was coming from, but what frustrated me is the fact that, all the shit that happened between him and Rashad, and we'll never have 
the um, the possibility of seeing them fight at the present moment, and that annoys me. It's like there's no payoff. It's like, you know, you got punked out by Rashad every week, and vice versa, and it's like we'll never see it. You know, like the guy called you soft. Like, uh, like a million people heard him say, you know, you a soft ass bitch. It's like, it's like, look, man, if somebody said that to me, I, I, you know, I would be squeezing your brainstem with my fist. You know, it's like I'll never get to see that, and I think that kind of soured me on the season from Jump Street. I think we're. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, if I were a betting girl, and I am, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, Rampage back. Um, Maybe not soon, and I don't even know if I'd say the first half of next year. But you know, he's going to realize that uh, Hollywood isn't all it's cut out to be, and you can only you know play that character so many times. And he's going to be back. I think he's going to be back. Um, but I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it was this season was far less about the fighters and them training and um, what it's like to be you know pimped up in that house as long as they are without communication. You know, the stuff that you would see throughout the other seasons. Definitely, in my opinion, wasn't there this season. And quite frankly, I had a really hard time um, catching Same it every focus. week. And yeah, I mean, there it was also hard to find those fighters that you really took a liking to. Um, yep. Of course, it was easy to find those that you didn't like for whatever reason. Um, oh yeah. But you know, this season, you know, it was hard for me to kind of pick those that I really wanted to see go far. Well, you know, it's funny because. Um, uh, Kimbo Slice, and and this is my, you know, my little rant on him. Kimbo Slice, I've watched since the YouTube days. I I watched him, and you know, I I remember like, wow, this guy's just beating guys up, you know. And there was there was an an aura of of coolness, like holy shit, he just busted this guy's face, you know, like that's awesome. And then when you know Elite XC jumped on the Kimbo bandwagon, I was like, okay. But when he started main eventing, I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. And then, you know, they started giving him, like, the most tomato can guys ever. Because when he fought uh, James the Colossus Thompson, I was like, this guy has a tumor growing out of his head. Right. It's, like, it's like, what is this? You know, like, what is this that I'm watching? You know, when Kimbo beat him, you know, there was definitely uh, starting to show a lot of exposure in terms of Kimbo's fighting ability. Because when he got to the ground, I was like, oh, shit. You know, this might be that first loss. And then, you know, the Petrozelli thing and, you know, the, 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 the Shamrock problem. You know, I kind of soured me on Kimbo because I felt that the marketing machine was ruining the image that I, that I enjoyed. I'm like, yo, there's a dude from the streets that comes in there and smashes people's faces. And, you know, does it, you know, he's the guy that I'm here for a paycheck. And that was in there. You know, I liked that. I thought it was really cool. And then, you know, Dana coming out every week and he's like, you know, Kimbo's the toughest guy at the barbecue and, you know, shitting on him. It amused me, and, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, I, mean, I guess Dana's right. When I found out he was on The Ultimate Fighter, I'm like, see, that's a guy who humbled himself, because Dana's like, you want to show how good you are? Come on, The Ultimate Fighter. He humbled himself, and he's like, you know what, let me start from the bottom. And what is he doing? Fighting on the finale. Yeah, he's not no, even a finalist, sure. but he's fighting. Totally and I appreciated, agree that. I appreciated his presentation. I appreciated how, the, how Spike TV portrayed him. You know, he's just a very humble guy. And just not the, not, the, not the lion that you see going in there wanting to take somebody's head off. You know, there was, there was an interesting dynamic, and I enjoyed how they humanized him. And I was like, wow, I, got, I gained a newfound respect for him based off of that. You know, and then, of course, the respect that Kimbo gained from me, Rampage lost. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. You know, and, yeah, you can say he's become humble, and I don't disagree with that. 
as far as Dana you know, um, turning his cheek or whatever the saying is, I mean, I think he clearly sees Kimbo as marketing dollars, and how could you not? You know, the ratings were what they were only because of Kimbo, and everyone knows that. That's why they would tease every single week as Kimbo coming back, um, yep. you know, possible Kimbo comeback. Um, it, I don't know. I think Dana is a, a smart businessman, and, and I think that probably – turned him on to Kimbo coming to the Ultimate Fighter more than anything. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the thing about Kimbo going to Elite XC and how he did there, I think, you know, we're going to be able to see what can Kimbo do with the right training and in the right organization. And I'm I'm interested to see how he does. I'm definitely going to tune in to see, you know, how he performs this weekend for sure. Now, in terms of, of the final fights, were you at, at all surprised – that Marcus Jones came in there and got put to sleep? Or was it one of those things you kind of expected, like the right guy's going to get his number and put him to sleep? And I'm bringing up that fight first, I'm bringing up that fight first because they kind of spotlighted him a lot also with Kimbo. You know, it was always like, oh, you know, Marcus is such a nice guy. You know, he's like the quiet psychopath. You know, there was always something that they were trying. You know, they always kept him in the spotlight. Do you think that that was more, you know, that he actually ended up getting exposed or, it, or was it something where he just got caught out there? Well, I think he's a personality that people kind of sort of knew of him before he got in the house. So I think the UFC, am I, you know, I'm totally guessing, from an editing perspective, you know, this is someone that audience already sort of knows, so let's keep him in the forefront. He was a personality. You know, the blow-up at the end, I think, was kind of entertaining. But also, if you notice, ESPN MMA Live used him every week to kind of do the tough recap. Um, I, I think he's actually, aside from the blow-up, um, I think he's a pretty well-put-together guy. I, as far as his fighting skills go, you know, when he first came in the house, I was like, oh, man, all these football players are going to think that it's a walk in the <laughs> yep. park. Um, but I was kind of surprised with his ability. I mean, he wasn't terrible. He definitely wasn't the worst one out there by any means. Um, was I surprised with the ending? I don't know if I'd say surprised. I mean, disappointed <laughs> maybe a little bit. I kind of wanted to see him go further, actually. I, you are not alone. I actually felt that he was going to take it all the way. And, you know, Brendan did his thing, and, you know, I applaud him for that. But um, I think that Marcus, and, you know, that's the thing I, you know, I always say with every season. These guys, they come in, they're competing for a contract, and it's good that they're competing for the big contract, but they all at some point or another fight in the UFC, and then you weed out who's, gonna, who's staying and who's going. Like, yeah, they go on the show, they do their little thing, they fight, they lose, you know, they quote-unquote go home, and then you see them fighting in the UFC. You know, guy, you know Josh Koscheck, great example. Mike Swick, you know, Kenny Florian. Uh, Scott Smith at one point, Drago, you, you know, you see all these guys, they're, you know, they fought, they were in the Ultimate Fighter, none of them won, you but know, they fought. I, I, I think what everyone's starting to see is this show, some people have been arguing, arguing maybe it's starting to, you know, run its course and they should just wrap it up and, and call it a day. Um, I completely disagree. I think heavyweights at large, um, no pun intended, are a little boring to me in, in this um Avenue just because they are so green typically that you know the cardio is horrible so the fights in of themselves tend to be a little boring for me personally um, but I think you know everyone's starting to see that this particular show is great exposure I mean if you're a fighter that's serious about this this is a great way you know to get your foot in the door so to speak and you're right people 
are definitely fighting for the organization, even though they didn't win win the contract for sure. I um I actually would like to see a season where they do not not super professional guys, but more and not novices, but definitely dudes that are want that want to get into the sport that have some type of training. While it is good that all these guys have formal training, I think that you know. Um, some of the, I think that to see the overall development of of a fighter as a whole would be something interesting to do in a future season. Just because a lot of these guys are coming in, they're they're seasoned to an extent. They got some fights under their belt, but I really would like to see a season that focuses on the full development of a fighter. Like you know, you learning the art and just you know getting not just getting your foot in the door because of you know some type of natural ability or you got a couple of fights under your belt. I want to see. The, the full the full package. I mean, do you think that's something that would be would be a, a, an interesting spin, or is it something that might not go over so well? Oh, I think that's definitely interesting. It would be a really long season. <laughs> I think if we wanted to see any true growth or development, as you know, um, but yeah, that would be interesting for sure. You know, you see a lot of some of these guys step in the cage, and you know, the stat before their fight on the Ultimate Fighter is you know. Five and O, and you're like, well, are those amateur fights or are those backyard right. fights? What is that? Yep, that's what I'm saying. Like these guys come in, they're three and O, they're two and O. You know, the one, the only one guy was the um, shit, I can't remember his name. The the guy that broke his leg, that he was on the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, damn it, what's his name? Yeah, exactly. I can't remember <laughs> it off off the top of my head, but he um. He didn't have any fights, and that was really cool to see. Like, that's where I got the idea from. I'm like, holy shit, he didn't have – you know, he had just started kind of sort of mm-hmm. when the season started, and he, you know, he, he lied. But he was like, hey, man, you know, I didn't have any fights. And it's like, holy shit, and he went out there, and, you know, he fought his heart out, and, and that's what gave me the idea. I'm like, wow, that dude had no idea whatsoever. But in the right. training that he had, he picked it up, and he went out there, and he did his thing, and he still fought in the UFC. I mean – Regardless of the fact that you know he broke his leg, but he, he and he, but he's coming back. But you know he showed a different side of of, of the show that I, that I'm like, wow, they really there there's something there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that idea. You should pitch that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could. But um, with that said, I wanted to also um talk about Roy Nelson a little bit because mm-hmm. I think he's a fat tub of shit. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's hard I, to like him. He doesn't give you a reason yep. to like him. Yep, that's exactly it. He comes in there, oh, yeah, I fought IFL, heavyweight champion, blah, blah, blah. I rub my gut, blah, 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 and, you know, I lay and pray, and I smother you with my stomach. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a novel approach, and I'm glad it works for him, but it concerns me that he's in the final, and – he he may have the opportunity to come in there and use that same bullshit tactic and become the ultimate fighter. Like, Absolutely it, it, it bothers I mean, me. For Brandon to, uh, you know, Marcus took Brandon down, um, and Brandon somehow, I still don't know how, was able to get up out of under Marcus. And Marcus is not a small guy. But nope. if Roy takes Brandon down, he's all got – you know, while yep. Brandon trains with some really great heavyweights, um, no one who has the physique of Roy Nelson. And yep. you yeah, don't have, he's right. He's, you can't defend a cheeseburger on your face. You know, <laughs> there's no defense for that. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I, I and you know Dana White. 
you know, talks a lot of shit about him. And, you know, I, I really do feel it's warranted. I mean, his fight uh, last night was, you know, was, was a little better. You know, he came out there and he stopped him and he showed, he showed, some, he showed me something. I really think, though, that, you know, the whole gut thing, the whole being a fat slob of shit is not a selling point. <laughs> it's really not. Like, you know, it, that has to affect your performance somehow. It's like if you're good now, you know, with the body of a bag of flour, how good would you be if you lost, you know, 20 pounds, you know? Right, right. And again, I mean, his attitude and personality doesn't really make up for it. Yeah, he's really not doing me any favors. Now, with that said, um, what are your what are your picks for for this weekend? Oh, um, do you want to go down, or do you want me just to tell um, you? I will. Uh, let me do the main card first. I mean, we can do the prelims, but you know, unless they broadcast them, it's going to be really hard to call it. But um, Matt Hamill and uh, huh? Yeah, let's yeah, just, Matt, uh, do the main card. Matt Hamill and um, John Jones. So I have a really bad habit, and I've said this multiple times. I have a bad habit of making my predictions based off of who I want to win and not who I think is going uh-huh. to win. <laughs> so uh, with that being said, I'm a huge Matt Hamill fan. I think he has great wrestling. Um, I, I like him. I've been a Matt Hamill fan for quite some time. Um, having said that, um, my pick is going to be John Jones. Really? It is. Why, why, why is that? Um, I think that he is explosive. I think that, uh, you know, while Matt has great wrestling, um, I, and I think John Jones does, I'm just, I don't know if it's going to be age um, is going to play a factor at all in age as opposed to experience, um, but I just still think that uh, Jones is going to win this fight. You know, I also wonder how, you know, I also, sorry, I also wonder, you know, Matt Hamill pulled out of 102 uh, for a knee scope, and I'm sure he's he's fine, but, you know, I haven't heard or seen him since then. Well, you know, it's funny, I I became a Matt Hamill, you know, from from the Tito season, I became a fan of his, and I, you know, he was very humble, he went out there, and, you know, there was always that preconceived notion in the back of my brain where I said to myself, holy shit, you're getting your ass whooped by a deaf guy. (laughs) You know, like, that was always in the back of my mind. Like, here's a guy who's, you know, missing um, one of the five senses that is a phenomenal athlete, and it doesn't affect his – I mean, I'm more than sure it affects in terms of cornering him for the Mm -hmm. fight. That's a guy that's going in there and and putting – and not doing decisions. He's he's throwing people beatings, you know, and it's like, you know, it was very it was very cool to watch. And, you know, his development has been something that's been very interesting and it's a great success story. And not only that, it's also great um from a marketing standpoint for the UFC because, you know, you can say, hey, you know, regardless of certain handicaps, you know, you, you can compete in combat sports. And I think that's great. In terms of my prediction, I actually think Hamill's gonna take it. And the reason being that while he did have his knee scoped I feel that his wrestling is his bread and butter, and he just has some unnatural strength, you know, and if he's, he's good for shooting in for takedowns, I really do think he's going to smash uh, John Jones early because I think that's the only way he's going to do it. He's got to come in, do the um, – hopefully, you know, if the guy doesn't have good takedown defense, score the takedown and just smash his face in. I honestly think that's the only way that I see Hamill doing it. 
you know, to have a strong showing. I think if it goes later rounds, though, you know, I, I'd have to give it to John Jones. But, you know, that first round, Hamill is dangerous. He's good for just busting people's faces up. <laughs> agree. Absolutely agree. Um, Brendan and Roy Nelson. <laughs> yeah, again, you know, if Brandon can keep the standing, he's got it um, in the bag. And that's my pick. I, I think it, I think it's going to stay standing. I think he's going to stay away from uh, Roy taking him down. And I'm hoping that Brandon's going to win by knockout. You know what? You and me both. I really would like to see uh, the Michelin man get put to sleep. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, just because... You know, losses humble fighters, and now that he's made it to the big show, I really think that the only way that he's going to learn anything is by losing. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these guys, you know, they get they get that they get that you know that bravado of yeah man, you know I fought here, I haven't been defeated before, and they just think that you know they got a foolproof formula. And you know what? Everybody loses at some point. Right. I need I need him to lose because maybe. You know, he'll open his ears and listen to what people are telling him, you know, instead of thinking that he knows everything because he's got, you know, 30 fights under his belt. I really would like to see him get educated the right way. I <laughs> <Me agree>. <laughs> uh, Kimbo and Houston. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's no secret that Kimbo um, does not have the best grappling, and I wouldn't be surprised, and I, I'm expecting to see Houston, you know, come in and uh, – take him down for some ground and pound, so I'm giving it to him. You're going to give it to Houston? I'll tell you this. Kimbo has a puncher's chance, and I don't know how much he's tightened his game since the end of the show, but I'm a little worried because he's been saying in um, the last uh, few days of press that the, the cutting of weight has been difficult for him, and that worries me. I think that if he doesn't take the weight cut well, he's definitely getting his ass beat. But on the flip side, if he's tightened up his ground game, even even somewhat with the fundamentals, then I think he has a good shot. And I, Houston Alexander, I think, is a great matchup for him because Houston Alexander likes to stand and, and trade. You know, I mean, he, he can take it to the ground when necessary, but I think his stand-up game is why they match them up. And I think it's going to be one of those things where it might play out like Jardine and Alexander did, where, you know, they're going to, they're going to trade, feel each other out, and then so, you know, somebody's getting put to sleep. I definitely see a, uh, a highlight reel at some point. Right. I agree. And you know everyone's going to tune in to watch that. It's Kimbo. Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's a given. Um, <laughs> Frankie Edgar and Matt Veach. You know, it's funny. I think everyone's – clearly Frankie's going to be the, the favorite here. Um Matt Beach is not undefeated for, you know, no reason. He's clearly a good fighter. Um, I, I definitely give this to Frankie. Uh, I think Frankie's a great wrestler. He's a grinder. Um, do I think this is going to end early? Probably not. I, I would be willing to bet it's going to go the decision. And, you know, I think this is going to be a big win for Frankie. If he does win, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a title shot, um, depending on how the Gray Maynard and uh, Nate Diaz fight goes. But I definitely think Frankie is a contender in that weight class. So I'm expecting to see Frankie win. Yeah, I actually I actually had go with that just because, you know, he's put on some great performances, you know, and I like exciting fights. You know, the, he's one of those dudes you watch a fight like, holy shit, you know, this guy, you know, he's quick, he comes in. And, you know, he's trying to finish fights, and, and I like that. I really do not like um, when these guys 
you know, just layer, you know, use the lay and pray technique. You know, it kind of, it, it, not only from a fan's perspective does it just slow the pace down, but it's like, all right, how many times are you guys going to get stood up? You know, it's like, all right, right already. You know, I don't like right. the, the lay and pray, especially when guys know how to manipulate it so well. Agree. And, and of course, uh, Marcus and Matt. Uh, yeah. Um, are you asking me who, who do I get yes. to? Yes, ma'am. <sighs> Why is it so hard? Um, wow. That, that's a tough one. Marcus, I guess. Well, you know what? I, I really would like Marcus to win because <laughs> he looks like he is just an absolute psycho when he goes in the cage. Like, you know, he he reminds me if you've ever watched Bugs Bunny cartoons of the big orange monster of Gossamer. Yes, I have. Like that. Yeah, he's like, you know, doo, 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 look at these pretty flowers. And then all of a sudden you you crush the flower and he just loses his mind and pops your head off like a bottle cap. So, you know, considering how the season ended with him and Matt, I need to see this happen. And they were smart on putting this on the main card. I need to see it. Because somebody, somebody's going to get hurt badly. Well, the thing is, is he's such an emotional person in of itself, and we've, he's demonstrated that for us many times on the, on the show. Um, if Marcus brings that emotion um, and uses it the right way, I think he definitely could, could walk away with the win for sure. Yeah, I think, I think he needs it, and I think that he's, uh, he has a great career in the heavyweight division if he just, um, you know, psychologically – channels that rage in the cage, you know, no pun intended, because I think that there's something there. There's, there's a spark of just, um, ma- of maniac in him. It's just like, like I look at, like, there's a lot of guys, you see them come to the cage, you're like, wow, that guy, that guy's a problem. And, you know, you, it's just that preconceived notion of, yeah, that guy can beat my ass. But that's a guy that you look at and you're like, oh, he's such a nice guy. Like, he's the guy that, you know, the office worker that, like Milton in office space that just burns the building down. He's that guy. <laughs> and I just, I just want to see that. I just want to see the cage door close, the switch get turned on, and Matt Mitrione not knowing what hit him. I just need to see it happen. I think it's just the, the, the sadistic side of me that just wants to see this the, uh, big baby snap and go crazy. That's just me. I think we may. I, I guess it depends on what kind of day he's having, right? Yep, I think so. Um, with that said, um, uh, prelim card. I'm not going to go into the. I'm not going to go into. I'm not going to go into it because there's only one fight I really care about, and that's uh, Titties and James McSweeney. <laughs> I'm going McSweeney for sure. Definitely, that kid. You know, I mean, Rashad was good in picking him. The guy, the guy can definitely go. Um, one thing that's been really interesting. It seems that. Um, that Daryl has been calling out Rampage also after the whole thing with, uh, you know, the titties jokes and all that stuff. So he's been calling out Rampage. He's like, yeah, you know, Rampage, you know, da 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 Like he's been, you know, I've been reading in a lot of different circles that he's calling him out. And that's uh, very, not surprising, but definitely, you know, that's that's a bold move. I think, you know, he's kind of trying to get his name out there too, but that's crazy. It's like, yeah, Rampage, you know, I want to fight you. It's it's insane, but. It's it's a good it's a good tactic, but sometimes you you don't want to go that route. <laughs> you definitely no. do not. No. Um, with that said, um, 
I know we wanted to talk a little UFC 106. I had told you about that. And um, the only thing I want to go into is Tito and Forrest. How did you, okay. you see the fight? How did you see the fight personally? Um, I personally did not think that it was even um, a question. I, I had Forrest winning um, the fight for sure. And quite frankly, I was surprised there was so much controversy after the fights about, you know, Tito won and Tito got robbed. And I understand why Tito might think that. Um, but from what where I saw it, not even close, honestly. What did you think? Well, I see it. I see Tito started strong in the first, gassed out in the second, ran out of gas completely in the third. I, I think he thought it was a two-rounder. Yeah, he came I out. Actually, he came out guns blazing. I actually thought and, and told my fiance in the early in the third, early in the third. I was like, I think he broke his right hand. He's not. He's not throwing it, and it seemed like he was protecting it. And then after the fight, I was really waiting for him to use the excuse of you know. Um, even though Uriah Faber fought crazy with two broken hands, I really thought Tito was going to say he broke his right hand. And then he threw out every excuse except for the broken right hand. I'm still waiting for him to say, I didn't realize my hand was broken. Um, but, yeah, he totally gave up in the third. Yep, he phoned it in. And, and you know, I, I love Tito to death, but I am so sick of his fucking excuses. Oh my, my! I cracked my skull. I had two separated, you know. I had two bulging discs. I'm like, I'm like, you melon-headed fuck! Didn't you get your 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 back fixed? How how do you have bulging discs already? Like what? Well, what as the if, fuck as happened? If, as if he would have been cleared to fight with all that. But anyway, aside from that, nothing was <laughs> mentioned on on the medical suspensions. And, you know, had he just come out and said, wow, you know, clearly I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was, or clearly I need a little more time before I get back into it, props to Forrest, he won this time fair and square, something. But, you know, he, he wasn't even close to that. He's still crying over Twitter about how, you know, he was robbed. And it's just the same antics, and it's really unfortunate. Tito really could have won his fan base back um, and even grew some, I think, if he had been a little more – um, you know, humble. We've used that word quite a few times tonight, but in this case, I think that's exactly what he needed to do. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, I was really torn in in terms of my picks for that fight. Cause I like Forrest. I, you know, he, uh, he he. I'm a fan of his from the beginning. You know, I, I actually bought his book a while back and read it, and it was just hilarious. Yeah. And um, I I was really like, damn, you know, either one of these guys win, you know, I I can accept it. And you know what? I mean, my wife was mad. She's like, "Fucking Tito! You see, he pulls this shit all the time, you know." And I'm like, "I'm like, yeah, I understand." You know, I was happy for Forrest, but on the same token, I was like, "Fuck, man! Why can't you just lose and just lose?" Like, "Yo, man, I got my ass beat, and it happens." Right. Like, I don't, right. under- I don't understand that shit. It's like, take the loss, man. You, you, you fucking gassed out because you had no cardio. Or because, you know, making babies with Jenna Jameson has killed your cardio. Just own up. Just be like, look, man, you know, being a family man, you know, I kind of slacked a little bit. Or, you know, the training camp wasn't as good. Because when he was doing the um, the videos on YouTube and showing his, his his training camp, I was like, holy shit, he's, he's, he's ready. And you know what? Uh, you know, training camp came and went, and you looked awesome. Then you did the uh, the pre-fight hype video with sunglasses on. I'm like, why does he have sunglasses on? So I'm assuming he was hiding the eye yep, at that exactly. point. 
but it's like, what the fuck, dude? Can't you just lose humbly, you know? Can't you just let that rock? Apparently not. <laughs> Unfortunately, apparently not. You know, maybe he's learned his lesson. Um, I, too, was on – I love Forrest and have always loved Forrest. I think Forrest rocks. Um, but I went into this one saying, okay, it's not going to be, you know, emotion predictions. It's going to be real predictions. And uh, I picked Tito. I was on Team Ortiz. And that didn't happen. And, and even when Forrest won, which I thought he did, I was very disappointed in the way Tito acted. So I hope he learned his lesson. And next time we don't see those antics because. Yeah, I, I see like a third it. fight. That's where the money is. There's, a, there's a definitely money in a third fight. And if they do the Ultimate Fighter, the amount of shit talking will be hilarious. And it'll be, it'll be enough to not detract from the show, but, but it'll be enough to make you definitely want to see them fight. Because okay. Tito's a, a, a master strategist in I terms of that. I completely agree. I would, I would love to see that. And the last one before we go into the... Um, you know, I want to go into some other MMA news. Um, Anthony Johnson and Josh Koscheck. <laughs> you know, highly, highly debated, especially, you know, since it was iPoke Gate. But um, how did you see the fight? Um, it was a weird fight. It was like one of the weirdest fights I've seen in a long time. I know it sounds silly, but it was just back and forth. And you're like, really? Are you kidding? And yeah, you can there was an eye gouge or an eye poke and when they gave Josh the break to recover he was grabbing the wrong eye um, you yep. know it definitely went back and forth and, and dirty or not it was back and forth and um, you know I'm, I'm glad I guess I would say I'm glad with the outcome the way it was um, both are great fighters and I, a loss for either of those guys wouldn't have knocked him down on my, on my sheet at all yeah, I mean, Anthony Johnson is one of those guys, you know, I became a fan of his. And, you know, I felt I felt bad for him after what happened with his fight where, you know, he took that serious eye poke and they had to, you know, reattach his eye. His eye. Right. It was, you know, it was very upsetting. And, and to watch that happen in this fight definitely annoyed me because I'm like, holy shit, you know, Kostya gets poked in the eye and then Johnson gets poked in the eye. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a, a train wreck. And it was, you know, as as competitive as the fight was, I really felt that there was no... While Koscheck won and, you know, he won by chokeout, I honestly would really like to see them fight again because there was just that... There was way too much controversy and way too many little things that nagged at me in that fight, and I definitely think an, a second go-around is in order. Oh, the funny thing is, the way Josh Koscheck fights, and as frequently as he fights, if Anthony Johnson stays in this weight class, they'll definitely have to fight again at some point. Um, yeah, I, too, would love to see a matchup, a rematch between those two, for sure. That would be one of the things that, you know, it, it, I definitely like both guys. They know how to sell fights, and, and Koscheck, he's just, he's like fucking Superman. He doesn't get hurt at all. <laughs> and, uh, he lo he loves to fight. Like you know, his uh, rematch with Paulo Thiago should be interesting, and I know he wants that to avenge uh, that loss and definitely yeah. get close to fighting GSP, which you know everybody wants to do. And I honestly think that you know, while Dan Hardy has you know a small percent chance of taking that, I you know I, don't, I really don't think he's going to close the deal on that. It won't happen. No, absolutely not. Now, in, in, re in some regular MMA news, now that we've recapped and uh, analyzed everything, um, before you called in, I was talking about the thing uh, with, with Carl Parisian 
and, um, you know, his addiction to painkillers and, you know, a lot of the problems he's having and, you know, some of uh, Dana White's commentary. And um, do you think that the UFC was justified in terms of just cutting him loose? Well, I mean, I guess you can kind of look at it as, you know, any employee-employer relationship because I think that's, you know, pretty much what it is. Um, I, I don't really know for sure what the circumstances were. I don't know if he waited the last minute. I don't, I don't know the history there, and it's really hard to, I guess, jump to conclusions. Um, to be frank, I'm not a Carl Parisian fan at all, um, and I've been nice. pretty Thank vocal. Nice, God. I'm not <laughs> a, I am not that. alone. I think he's um, a fucking douche. <laughs> has it been? I, I saw there was. Uh, I've been offline for a few days, but I saw some people were talking about him going to Strike Force. Did that happen? Has it been announced? No, nothing has been announced with Strike Force that I'm aware of. Um, there have been rumors of you know Dan Henderson also going to Strike Force. I think okay. what he's doing right now is um, he still has to pay uh, the fine from his previous suspension. So I know that he was working with the athletic commission for that. So I'm more than sure he's going to probably, you know, take some time, take some time off, pay that, pay off that money. And I'm more than sure he'll fight in Japan or he'll fight for Strike Force because Strike Force is scooping up everybody they can. Um, the only thing that Strike Force doesn't have going for them is the fact that they're going to let um, Herschel Walker fight. And uh, not not very fond of that for a, for a multitude of reasons, but. I think Strike Force has a really uh, deep talent class, and you know, adding Carl Parisian will be good, but he needs to get get that monkey off his back, you know. Yeah, I, I'm not interested in that whatsoever, and I actually think <laughs> that you know, it's kind of like the Oakland Raiders bringing on every hoodlum that can play football. I think there's something to be said about your brand with the fighters you're associated with, and I personally, not being a fan of his, would not be excited to see him come with Strike Force. I think Strike Force is a solid organization and they don't need him at all. Well it's funny you, you, you mentioned the thing about the Raiders because I, I usually just refer to them as the inmates. Exactly. <laughs> so it's funny it's <laughs> funny you mentioned that, you know, because I really it really bothers me and um you know, I'm I'm gonna jump back a little bit that these guys, you know, they they get themselves into this shit and then they automatically expect the organization to back them up. Um, you know, it happened with War Machine which um, I'm, a, I'm a really big War Machine fan. Um, his newest career choice is not something I'm fond of because, you know, I honestly want to see him fight. And uh, his Twitter posts are very amusing. But he really is one of those guys, you know, him, Junie Browning, um, that they just – they I, I think there's a, there's a side of them that expects the organization to just accept all of their antics and consider it all. That's just part of him being a fighter. There's just some shit you can't let slide, you know? And again, I mean, as a fighter, you're also representing the organization you work for, your fight, you fight for. And I think those antics are unwarranted, and there are too many other good fighters out there that it's easy to cut those guys, you know? They're not great fighters. So not great fighters coupled with being an asshole, I don't really need you. Well, you know, it's it's funny because... With War Machine, I thought he had such great promise. And you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. His while his his commentary on the passing of Evan Tanner was a little, uh, I, I'd consider it suspect. But you know, it's one of those things where you're you're blogging, you know, your your non-fight life, 
you know, it, it, he wasn't saying anything like, oh, I'm glad he's dead. You know what I mean? Like, I don't – if he would have been outright rude about it, then I can see that being an issue. But I definitely felt that he kind of got um, crucified a little bit more than he needed to. I think that, you know, the Evan Tanner situation was very um, sensitive. But, you know, I didn't think it was to the point where, you know, you got to crucify the guy. Same thing with, you know, his, his little blog post on Obama, you know, which was another – another uh, little black eye for him when, when he was in the UFC. I think all of that, while it is, you know, um, non-politically correct, I, I'll go with that, uh, not politically correct, you know, it's his opinions, you know. It's just a matter that the UFC should have just said, you know, the opinions shared by our fighters are not the opinions shared by our organization. You know, same yeah, thing with the Rampage situation. Exactly, exactly. That's what I was going to go into. You know, they stood by Rampage, um, <laughs> And they went above and beyond with Rampage. So I kind of feel like if you're a fighter and they think that you're worth, you know, going the extra mile for and standing behind, then they're going to. And if they don't think you are, clearly they're not going to, and they're going to cut you. Um, And I'm guessing, you know, these two in particular, between, you know, War Machine and, and Caro, not really worth going the extra mile for. Right, and I mean, Junie Browning also, because, you know, Dana White gave him a shitload of chances. He kind of fucked himself. But, you know, it it upsets me, especially with a guy like uh, with War Machine, who, you know, is just a marketable dude, you know, has a a great look that you can market, that, you know, it's like his mouth fucks him up. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's like he's, like, wanted by the cops for fighting at some porn party, and, you know, he's just going on Twitter like, yeah, you know, whatever. It didn't go down like that. But it's like, dude, you know, you got this new career choice. And I had messaged him on Twitter. I'm like, oh, when are you fighting again? And he's like, oh, I'll be fighting in a few months. I'm like, all right, that's cool. But it's like, you know, it's really cool. You got this secondary career. And, you know, I made a lot of jokes uh, about his, his career. And I actually want to see if I can get him on the show because I, 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 there's a part of me that feels I'm not getting the full story out of him. You know, like Carl Parisian, we, you and I both agree – He's a douche, and he has some problems he needs to take care of. And, you know, he's got to take care of him. But with War Machine, it's really interesting because he didn't really do anything, you know, wrong in terms of the sport. He just got himself in trouble with his mouth. And I just want to know, like, from, like I want to hear it from him. Like, dude, like, what was it? What were you told when the story broke? Like, you know, hey, man, you shouldn't have said that. Like, how did that go down? And I really would like to hear it from him personally. Because yeah, I, I just feel there's something I, that needs to be said. Right. Uh, and, again, I know absolutely nothing with regards to this. Um, but, you know, it came out that he beat up his girlfriend or one of the female porn stars. And, you know, a good guy doesn't do that, right? Right. But no, of course not. I think he's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But but you know what it is? It's It's just one of those things where – Me personally, and I think that's also uh, the fan in me. It's just like, like, what exactly is is you know are you going through that that nobody's giving you a break? You know, like, what exactly is it that that, that's fucking up your career? Like, okay, you want to fight and do porn, that's fine. Like, like honestly, no harm in that because either way, you're making money. It's really not affecting your, your – yeah, it might affect your training a little bit. But, you know, it's not, um, it's not something that's, ruin, you know, that's ruining him as an athlete. So if he wants to do that, that's fine. What I want to know is 
what exactly is it that's just sullying his reputation? I mean, the, you know, the, the recent turn of events for him, while they have been unfortunate, I just want to know, like, what happened with, you know, the Rampage thing, his commentary on that, the Evan Tanner thing, his commentary on that, and, you know, the Obama thing. I want to know, you know, what did they say to him? Like, I just want to ask him, like, dude, what did they say to you when they called you in there? Were you, you know, were you apologetic or were you war machine when they apologized to you? You know, were you like, you know what, fuck that, man? You know, like, did you, were you, were you humbled or not? Because I don't think that anybody, any other fighters, you know, political or, you know, personal opinions should jeopardize their career unless, you know, you, you know, you're like a Klansman or, you know, right. or you do something or you're or a terrorist. You know what I mean? I think it's hard just in the sport itself. I think, and I would hope that the UFC and Strikeforce and the organizations would take extra precaution or, you know, be extra aware as to how their fighters are representing them, not only as an organization, but as a sport. You know, the sport, while you and I are huge fans and supporters of it because we get it, the rest of, you know, mainstream media does not. And I think they still view it as cage fighting and they still view it as, you know, it's a violent sport. And when you see fighters like these knuckleheads doing these stupid things, it's just in the eyes of the other people solidifying everyone's misperception of it, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, they, they set the sport back. I mean, I live I live in New York and, um, you know, I'm watching – MMA gets sanctioned in Massachusetts, in Jersey, right. and you know it makes me it makes me very happy, but it also pisses me off because you know the politicians here in New York are a bunch of crooked fucks, and um, you know until right now you know with the recession and and the economy and the shitter, especially here in New York in some respects, you know all of a sudden they start looking at MMA because there's the golden ticket, right. but the legislation doesn't move quick enough to push it through, you know, and, and it annoys me because it's like our governor's a blind guy and he has zero idea what the fuck he's doing. And every time they, they, he's been asked or, you know, any of the guys that work with him have been asked, they're like, oh, you know, we really don't want to, you know, promote legalized cockfighting, which, you right. know, more than sure get a couple of chuckles in, in, the, in the show chat. But, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that preconceived notion that you know annoys me because it's like you know do you old fucks watch tv do youtube do you do anything do you do you see what it is because you know it's for all intents and purposes let's take the octagon out of it if you watch an mma fight in a ring it's boxing with feet you know and there, and there, and there's a and there's an era of of uh, you know there's an era of ground of groundwork involved but for all intents and purposes yeah it's four ounce gloves and it's the same thing as boxing, just less crooked and, you know, not as drawn out in some respects, depending on who's fighting in regards to boxing. I don't, I don't think that the fact that they have such a primitive view is helping the sport get legislation, and it annoys me to no end. And what's happening is that there's no voice from a fan's perspective that's at least intelligent and not, you know, the Ed Hardy variety. You know, there's not an intelligent, there's not intelligent fan's, that are helping push the sport forward in New York. And, you know, whenever I broadcast, I'm always like, hey, man, you know, on fellow New Yorkers, you know, help bring the sport to New York City. Because not for nothing, it would really thrive here. I mean, when we do, when we have boxing at Madison Square Garden, it's, it's a problem. You know, it, it's, it's, there's lots of money to be made. 
you know, when Felix Trinidad fought at the Garden, um, money. You know, if um, when Floyd Mayweather fights at the Garden, there's money. It's like the surge that the economy would get would be great, and there's a lot of local talent. I mean, um, you know, 10 minutes from my job is Matt Sarah's school. Ray Longo's school is 10 minutes from my office also. You know, there's a wealth of fighters that I'm more than sure would help promote a New York card if the UFC got legislation here. You know, it's like, fuck, man, how does Boston get it and we don't? And, and you know, there's tons of money here. It's, it's very upsetting, and I'm more than sure, you know, especially you being on the West Coast, you enjoy the fact that you can go and pretty much see fights whenever. You know, I mean, monetarily, of course, there's going to be that issue, but in terms of just going to see them, you do have a luxury, which I envy greatly. Oh, I definitely take it for granted, that's for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't understand why it doesn't move, you know, in such a in such a, a, a city like New York, it's not it's not already a done deal. You know, it's very disgusting. And I think it's just a matter of time, and I and I think we're going to be surprised at how quickly the other states will will start to accept this. In my opinion. Uh, well, I, it's wishful thinking. I hope so. I really would like to go and see a, a UFC show at the Garden. You know, of course, if I can afford the ticket, man, because you know, <laughs> ticket prices a little uh, a little much. But um, I, I don't want to get into into politics, but I do want to get into um, Fedor, good old Fedor. Um, before you came on, uh, I was talking about the fact that you know Fedor's management is saying that Fedor will gladly fight Brock Lesnar for free. And you know uh, Dana White like Dana White is like, hey, you want to make that shit happen? Let's do it because you know Dana White doesn't give a fuck and he's a psychopath. <laughs> so um, with that being said. Um, the the breakdown of negotiations between them and the UFC, how do you feel, you know, in relation to that? Do you feel that the UFC dropped the ball? Do you feel that it was just too many hands in the cookie jar? You know, wh- wh- what's your take on that? I think the UFC in of themselves, you know, will always say, oh, yeah, you know, bring it to us. We'll, you know, we'll do that. And at the end of the day, have you? they don't do co-promotions. That's the appeal to Strike Force, and that's why Strike Force has the fighters they have is because they do co- co-promote. Um so, you know, I, I honestly don't think it's going to happen. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, and it would be, quite frankly, a bad move for the UFC in my mind. Um, I mean, what do they have to prove? Even if people do think that Fedor is the best, and I don't necessarily think that he is, and I think Brett Rogers actually there for a second um, or maybe a whole minute had almost had it. Um, I don't necessarily think Fedor is the best, and, and I don't think the UFC really would gain anything by it. I just don't. I think – the UFC has Brock Lesnar, um, you know, the Shane Carwins, the Kane Velasquez. I just think that they have enough guys and enough fans and enough no- notoriety and support and respect that they don't – they have nothing to prove. I just well, – I, I, I think – go ahead. Nope, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thoughts. I just, I just think Dana is um, too much of a dick in a good way to make that happen. Well, you know, it's it's funny because almost – what you said is exactly what I said, that Fedor kind of got exposed a little bit by Brett Rogers, and I think that there's a, a side of Fedor that's worried about becoming, you know, the Mirko Krokop of the UFC, you know, coming in there, this big name, and then all of a sudden he gets his bell rung, and guess what? You're not the number one guy in the, in the, on the planet anymore. And I think there's a part of him that covets that spot, because with that spot, you know, comes a lot of leverage in terms of negotiations. Yeah, absolutely. I don't necessarily think that there has to be 
an undisputed number one because it could change. It's going to change the very next day. I mean, how undisputed are you? You know, everyone's vulnerable. Everyone's going to have a bad day. Um, I just, yeah, people want to see it, but then what? You know, what's next? I kind of like that Fedor's over there, and we have the Brock Lesnar's and the Shane Carwin's over here. So I think it's fine. Well, I want to see. I want to see Fedor fight because you know, and Randy Couture said it best when he wanted to fight Fedor. It's like you go through life you know, being told you're the best fighter in the world, the best fighter in the world, the best fighter in the world. But on the other side of the world, there's another guy that's being told that. And, you know, personally, you want to find out, like, am I as good as everybody says I am? Or, you know, is this guy better than me? And I think that boils down to just the the overall um, allure of MMA, you know, that it's just, you know, two people go in, it's not a team sport, and you handle your business in the cage, and then you keep it moving. And I think that the thing with Fedor that, that bothers me is the fact that if you're that good man, you shouldn't let management talk for you. You should tell your interpreter, I want to fight in the UFC, and then you just go and make it happen. That's, that's really it. You know, he, you know, Elmer Fudd should go, call up Dana, and be like, I want to fight uh, Brock Lesnar, and come in and handle his business. Because you know what it is? At the end of the day, if he beats Brock Lesnar, he's going to be the man. You know, everybody's like, see, I told you. You know, all the, all the Fedor fans will be like, holy shit. Blah blah blah, you know. It, you know, I knew he was the man. But if Brock Lesnar beats him, then everybody's like, "See, Fedor isn't that great." You know, it, it's one of those things that it's going to draw a lot of debate. But the money that would be made would be legendary. And not only that, but even even the loser of that fight, you know, the road for them to get a rematch is going to be one of the most watched things ever because everybody's watching Frank Mir, you know, and Czech Congo because of the whole history with him and Brock Lesnar and the fact that he's selling that fight without even fighting Brock Lesnar. He's like, yeah, I'm going to take his arm if he comes back and blah, you know, I want him to get better. And I think that that's one of the things that the UFC can make a lot of money on. Just the hype for that fight alone, you know, the face-to-face would be fantastic. Like, you know, let's say Brock Lesnar comes back, wins a fight, Fedor's in the stands, comes in the cage, they have a little face-to-face, Dana White goes, hey, we signed Fedor. The, it would be on every website, news organization, blog, ESPN, you name it. So, you know, it's one of those things where the, you, we need Fedor in there just for that. And, you know, if he loses, then Dana White will be like, well, you know what, you lost. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but you right. need that. It has to happen. Right. I guess, you know, so the two fight and Fedor wins. I, do you know, I mean, it would be such uh, – it would devalue, in my opinion, the heavyweight weight class in the UFC tremendously. Yeah, I, 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 so need, I, I, that. Just, I need to see that happen. <laughs> yeah, so I just think Dana White probably sees the, yeah, it would be quick money for sure, but I think, you know, the potential loss, in my opinion, is almost not even worth it. Well, I think that what's going to happen is that, um, you know, Fedor's going to go through his strike force contract and I believe he has a four-fight contract. And, you know, Dana White's probably going to go in there and, and say again, hey, man, you want to fight for us? And I'll tell you this. If Fedor gets beaten at any point within those four fights, it's going to give Dana a lot of leverage to bring Fedor in. Oh, absolutely. There's a reason why Fedor's not in the UFC, though. And, and you know, whether it be because he doesn't want to or, you know, the UFC hasn't offered him enough money or, you know, maybe Dana White hasn't really tried that hard. I don't know, but. I think that, you know, when you're offering, and that's one of the things that I was going to go into also, Dana White didn't get into specifics, but he said, he's like, you know, a lot of fighters, 
have given me a lot of shit because of the money that was offered to Fedor. You know, he said that it caused a lot of static in the organization because they're like, yo, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Dan Henderson negotiations fell, fell apart because of the whole thing with Fedor. Uh-oh, I think she got disconnected. Ah, shit. Well, let's see if she calls back. Um, while uh, Rachel calls me back, which I hope she does, um, I'll run a little bit through the uh, wrestling news. Uh, first thing is I want to send my condolences to Brian Pillman's family. Uh, his daughter, Alexis Pillman, passed away at the age of 26 from a car accident. So uh, my take radio would like to send its condolences to uh, Brian Pillman and Lexi Pillman's family and, uh, you know, hope that they can get through this. Uh, I believe they have one other child. I don't know if they're wrestling, but very unfortunate. And I would just like to pass along my condolences. Um, oh, I think she's back on. Hello? Ah, your phone cra- Yeah, you're back on. <laughs> I apologize. Blame technology. That's all right. It happens. We're not, uh, it, it, trust me, I've had my hiccups on this show, so it's okay. Um, what I had wanted to, what I was saying was the fact that, um, you know, the, the the monetary issues that were going on, you know, with the Fedor negotiations, I think definitely impacted uh, Dan Henderson's decision to stay or, you know, in any case, leave the UFC. Um, do you feel that, that, you know, the whole, that Fedor's worth whatever money he was being offered, or do you think that in the long term, there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be repercussions from that, from the from the mon- the money that was offered. Um, you know, that's I, overall that's what happens when you don't have something like a fighters union, right? There's such discrepancies and and gaps between what fighters are paid. Um, it's always hard to say what someone's worth, and you know, unless you've actually they've been tested and. You know, Fedor comes in and Brock Lesnar takes him out the very first fight. Is he really worth that million dollars? Maybe because it was a big draw to begin with. Um, but then what? So you know, it's it's hard to say. It's, I I hate talking salary <laughs> and fighter salary uh, because it's such a touchy subject in my opinion. Um, so I definitely don't think anyone's worth a million dollars if you've never fought in the octagon. So. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I, you know, the the money thing has been a, an issue. You know, it was a, an issue with Tito. It was an issue with Randy. Um, you know, it's it's been an issue with a lot of these guys, and it's unfortunate because you know, and Dana White did say it best. He's like, you know, these guys start talking about fucking salaries, and you know, the shit. Just, I made this much. It's like, you know, and the fact now that the uh, the salaries are being put out, you know, publicly are, you know, it's it's definitely rubbing a lot of guys the wrong way, especially, you know, it's like when I was watching um, this, you know, the the previous pay-per-view and um, Koscheck won, you know, submission of the night on Rumble Johnson, I was a little annoyed because I'm like, how do you get submission of the night? And Ben Saunders who got, I mean, um, not Ben Saunders, Kendall Grove who got a, a fantastic submission didn't get it, you know, it's like, that kind of sucks because the guy made, you know, 400 grand in a night. It's like, holy shit. You know, it, 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 was a little, um, it was a little disheartening. And you know what? I wouldn't have thought less of it if I hadn't seen the numbers. Yeah, I, uh, I think at first I was posting fighter salaries because I just didn't really think that much about it. And, you know, it's like, oh, people want to read this or this is news. And I, I just don't think it is. I think it's personal information. It's debatable. It's, it's, 
um, very subjective. You know, it doesn't take into consideration their sponsorship, money, and, um, you know, I think every single fighter is underpaid. I know what the lifestyle is. I know how hard they train, how hard they work, um, how hard it is on their bodies, no insurance, whatever it may be. I think every fighter is underpaid, never mind the, the huge gaps, like I said, between fighters that are on the same card, um, same, you know, main event card. Um, you see a fighter making $5,000, fighting someone that's getting paid $40,000, you know. There's not a union. Everyone has their own lawyers and, and business managers that are negotiating their contracts, and whoever's the best negotiator, I think, is getting more money. But, um, you know, it's just one of those subjects. I just think it's personal, and I don't talk about my salary or other people's salary, and it's just it's one of those things. I think it, people it's going to cause a lot of controversy for sure. I think that it's one of those things, you know, that it, it's it's a black eye. It's a black eye for the sport in some respects because it's like, you know, when that becomes public knowledge, it it, it really makes people motive. You know, it motivates people for the wrong reasons to get into the UFC. Like you don't really start seeing, you know, the the great fighters. I mean, I'm glad that it hasn't happened, but it's you know, I equate it with reality television. You know, when people see the allure of reality TV they jump on the bandwagon to make asses out of themselves. And, you know, right. I think it, it hasn't happened yet with, with the UFC or MMA in general, and I'm very glad. But what I don't want to see is the sport gets sullied and the reputation of the sport gets sullied because, you know, all these guys who have no business being in there are coming in for the quick payday, you know? Right, I agree. It's very, it's very um, you know, it, it's, it concerns me greatly just because, I'm, you know, I don't want to see my sport get ruined, but um, I want to just keep you on for, for a few more minutes. I want to take some calls if I can. If you want to call in and talk to Rachel, ask her any questions, feel free to call in 347-324-3541. Uh, just talk a little shop with her about MMA, pick her brain about um, MMAHotStuff.com, uh, any of the above. So again, that number is 347-324-3541. Um, but while a switchboard refreshes, um, I actually had one other, well, two other things to uh, pick your brain about. Uh, Mark Coleman and Randy Couture rumored to fight at a 109. What do you yeah. think? <laughs> so uh, I kind of laughed when Stephen Bonner and Mark Coleman before their fight, and I was like, oh, my gosh, Mark Coleman, over the hill, what's he doing, still fighting? I've actually met the guy. He's just as old in person as he thinks he is on TV. Um, and, you know, beat the snot out of Stefan Bonner. So I, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if I say I'm a Mark Coleman fan, I'm clearly taking Randy Couture in that fight. But um, I'll watch it. I, I, I don't know if it'll be a great fight, but, you know, never count Mark Coleman out, that's for sure. I mean, you know what it is? Mark Coleman's one of those guys, and he's, he doesn't have the same thing that Randy Couture has in the sense that, you know, Randy Couture, it seems like he just gets better as he gets older. But um, I would never discount Mark Coleman because he's a veteran. He knows a lot of tricks. He has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And um, I think that it's, it's going to be a great fight. You know, the two Hall of Famers may steal the show, but um, they're also rumoring uh, Cain Velasquez and um, – Antonio Noguera for the uh, interim heavyweight championship. You think he deserves that shot? 
Absolutely. I think he deserves that shot. Um, I'm excited to see the fight. I, I'm definitely taking uh, Kane in, in that fight for sure. Um, but, but I think both of them deserve to be in that matchup. And I'm anxious to see who's going to be fighting Shane Carwin. I think that, you know, Shane Carwin and Brock Lesnar needs to happen. Um, I'm very concerned, you know, especially with the whole thing with uh, Brock Lesnar possibly being out of the shelf. I, I mean, pe- being on the shelf permanently. Uh, Dana White, you know, he said on his Twitter that people have been asking, and he feels that Brock Lesnar is not out of the woods yet. Um, in terms of that, though, do you feel that if they had to strip him of the belt, how would you like to see that go down? Wow. Um <laughs> Sorry, that was a, that was a heavy one. It it kind of is a heavy one because um, I've been very vocal or have been very vocal in, in being very anti Brock Lesnar. Um, I thought he was way too over the top WWE for me when he first came in the league. He's definitely shown me um, that he's you know can beat some very very big names in the sport. And, and quite frankly, he at this point has earned my respect. I think his antics are just ridiculous and unprofessional, um, to say the least. Do I think they should? The question in, in my mind is, should they strip him, and if so, when? And you know, I would give the guy, in my opinion, at least a year. I would love to see, you know, someone these people fighting for the interim title makes perfect sense. You got to keep the show going. Um, but you know, if the guy's legit, legitimately sick, you know, maybe you give him a year to get better before you strip him. I mean, he's been out for what? He was supposed to fight at 106. Um, you know, I, I would give him at least a year. What do you think? Well, you know, well, here's the here's the thing. Um, I met Brock Lesnar personally, um, you know, because I'm a wrestling fan. Also, mm-hmm. uh, Brock Lesnar, when I met him, was a dick. <laughs> point, point blank, total douchebag. I remember uh, I was online. There were some kids online. You know, he was just like, "All right, come up, take your picture." They took a picture. A little kid had like like a like a toy for him to sign. He just, you know, like didn't look down to see if the kid's toy needed to be signed. He just signed a picture, handed it off. I mean, who's to say he wasn't having a bad day or, you know, whatever. But he was just in super dickhead mode at the time. And I was, I was bummed out, you know, because we, we took the picture. He was the heavyweight champion at the time, you know. And I had gone with my wife, and I was like, wow, you know, I was a fan of yours, dude. But uh, it was funny after he signed the picture and whatever. I was like, "Wow, what a dick!" <laughs> you know, like I said it right after I got the picture because you know what? I paid my money for the autograph, and um, you know, fuck you. you, you were an asshole, and I was gonna tell you. But um, right. uh, it, I'm not surprised at your initial reaction to him, just because he's ve- he's a very hard dude to like, especially when he comes in there. You know, I don't give a shit. I'm going to go and lay on my wife. You shit on the sponsor. And, you know, I, I've had a lot of different discussions um, on the show and, and off the air about how, you know, his antics were good and bad for the sport at the same time. Good in the sense because it just showed, you know, he had a fire. He, he wanted to go in there and put on a show, and that's great. Bad for the sport because it's like, dude, you're shitting on a major sponsor. You know, you're really talking – you know, you're really doing some crazy shit. You know, I'm glad Dana White kind of pulled him to the side. Like, dude, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors. And, you know, I, I admire that he came in there. And, you know, he, he's not pulling any punches. He's taking tough fights. And, you know, he's, he's moving forward. I just don't like 
like I was saying, you know, earlier with the Ultimate Fighter, you know, I don't want it to become too sideshow because that's not helping the sport move forward. Right. Now, you know, I you say he was good for the sport and bad for the sport. I agree. Um, bad for the sport in that it totally um, confirmed a lot of people's um, perception. You know, it is WWE-like and over the top and people are crazy and whatever. I um, Good for the sport maybe in the fact that people were talking about the sport um, at that given time and, and you know, public, any publicity is good publicity or whatever the saying is. Um, and, yeah, people were definitely talking about it. I just think you're right. At, at that point, he was just too much of a sideshow. And it's funny because of all people, Shane Carwin has really, you know, at that time took offense and was very vocal um, in what he thought of Brock Lesnar. And, you know, the sport yes, is did. supposed to be a, the sport was supposed to be about respect or the sport is about respect. And that's not respectful of the sport or of your colleagues or, you know, of your organization, your boss, whatever it may be. And, you know, Shane Carwin came out and said, came out swinging and saying, you know, what a dick um, in so many words and, and why act like this and, you know, be a role model. Oh, yeah, I saw, else. I saw I Shane's – I... oh, go ahead. And I think that's why Shane, you know, his fan base grew exponentially overnight because everyone was like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel as well. And, you know, he's really become, um, the you know, fighter for the fans in my mind and, um, but now, you know, Brock got sick and Shane kind of has done the full circle of we need to support. He's our existing champion and we wish him well. Um, I'd still like to see him beat the shit out of him. So I hope he does get Oh, better. yeah. Well, you know what it is? And, and here's the thing. Brock Lesnar is a gift and a curse for MMA because mm-hmm. the wrestling stigma will always be there. And unless his personality does an overhaul in terms of, you know, separating his his, you know, wrestling persona from his, you know, fan interaction persona, it's definitely going to be a hindrance. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of the um, wrestlers and, you know, his colleagues on Twitter, you see them like, yeah, Brock, go do your thing. You know, it was great what you did, blah, 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 because obviously they're from the same world. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they agreed and disagreed. It was heavily debated on the show. But I personally think that the UFC needs you need your bad guys you know every sport needs their bad guys because there's always going to be the necessity for you to want to watch them get their ass beat you said it best i want to see him get his ass beat and that's what people are going to tune in for it's something that you know is an interesting dynamic in terms of you need those bad guys to make your sport grow and dana white knows what he's doing i mean you know he's not yeah he he was probably upset but he definitely enjoyed it because you need that. You need, you know, he probably told him, like, look, dude, don't shit on the fans. Don't shit on the sponsors. You want to talk shit, that's fine. But, you know, do it a different way. You know, Frank Mir is the same way. I like Frank Mir as a fighter. But, man, can he be a douche too. But, you know what it is? That's, you need those guys because it balances out. You need that yin and yang. In, in, every, in every sport, you need guys that you love and you need guys that you hate. I mean, I know you watch boxing and you know that, when with Pacquiao and Cotto, you know, uh, there was a lot of pro Pacquiao, but there was also a lot of Cotto, and the 24-7 for Pacquiao wasn't doing him any favors. You know, like there were certain things I was watching, I was like, dude, what are you doing? You know? Right. right. You need no, that. I totally agree. I agree. But, um, I, I agree with that. I just think there's a balance, and anytime you're completely disrespecting the 
sport, I think that's kind of where I cross the line. Never mind the sponsors, never mind, you know, your potential opponent. But the sport, no, that's disrespecting the fans and what the sport's about. That's where I have a problem. Absolutely. With that said, I I got some calls, so uh, get ready. (laughs) Don't worry, don't worry. Um, Listeners are are a good group. All right. You're on the air. Yo. Talking to me? Yeah, man. I I, I knew it was you. I didn't know who you were talking to. You usually introduce me. (laughs) Yeah, well, I was just looking at it. I clicked it blindly, so... um, Rachel, this is uh, Slick. He's uh, one of the uh, one of the guys that you know contributes for the site, and uh, he's also a regular. So uh, he's our he's our first caller for you. So what do you All got, right. sir? Good evening, Rachel. How are you? Good, thank you. I uh, did get a chance to see a site. I, I mean, it's very nice, very well done. Congrats on that, and I hope hope the site that you're working on goes well as well. Thank you. And honestly, you you put in enough work to do your own show. <laughs> I appreciate that. I did have uh, I did co-host a show for a while, and uh, I needed a break. <laughs> it happens. This man needs a break himself. <laughs> um, you were talking about Brock Lesnar, and I, I mean, honestly, I I really like. Uh, MMA, but I'm a bit of a novice at it. I just really started getting into it. But Brock Lesnar, I'm very familiar with from WWE. I never, ever liked him. I mean, just his look, he looks like if Opie were a dick and became Shazam, that would be Brock Lesnar. Nice. He He has like a little kid's face on, like, a mutant-free steroid body. And he I just actually, looks wrong. I actually have uh, a nickname. And, and again, I, you know, Brock has done a lot to, for the sport um, here recently. And, and, you know, he has beat some really big names. And I guess I would say my respect is growing for him. Um, but I used to have an awful nickname for him. I'd call him Nacho Libre. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Wow. <laughs> nice. And one thing that Richard said very often about Brock Lesnar, like like you just told me, he is a dick as a person, but he's like you said, you know, he he's done his you know, he's done his homework, he's put in his work on in UFC. That much I do respect about him. I mean, I saw when he got his ass beat by Mary, he tapped out. And then I saw when he came back and beat his ass. And there's not much you can say bad about him when he's in the ring. He's still a dick outside the ring. I do wish him well. But if what doctors are saying is that, you know, he's going to be out for at least, like, six months to a year, I mean, you have... You have things like the Ultimate Fighter going on all the time. You have people always wanting to get into UFC or any way they can get into MMA. There needs to, at the very least, be an interim title. And yeah, I agree, and I and I think that there will be. I mean, we were talking about it. They're going to be. They've already said who's going to fight next, and the winner of that fight, I think Shane Carwin's going to fight for the interim title, and 
And, you know, I don't think that we should strip him of his title, at least not just yet. Again, I think we should give the guy a year or so to get better, in my opinion. I I agree with that because, I mean, doctors can be wrong. Right. He could come back at any time. I mean, I really hope he does because I I do respect what he does in the ring, but I really want to see him get his ass beat again. I agree with that. I would love to see him fight Fado and get his ass handed to him. <laughs> that's that's a bit of a stretch. I think that in terms of him fighting Fedor, and that's just me chiming in, um, you know, Fedor is one of those dudes, and I told you this, I told um, Slick this, Rachel, when he fought um, Brett Rogers. Fedor is a very smart guy, and he knows how to find holes in your game. And don't get me wrong, he, Fedor was exposed in the fight as a whole, but he just waited for his moment and, and took it. You know, like he's a, a very intelligent fighter. He has great ring awareness, great cage awareness, and he knows how to play the, the human chess game. And I personally think that if Brock Lesnar fought him, depending on how the fight started within the first minute, if it was based on strategy and skill alone, I think Fedor would take it. But it, would, it wouldn't be easy. No, it wouldn't be easy because the thing is, like I said it, Rogers has power and Rogers is good at getting out of submissions. Rogers is sloppy. Lester's not really sloppy like Rogers. Nope. But he would make a mistake, I believe. What do you think, Rachel? You think uh Fedor Fedor would take Brock Lesnar? Um, wow. You know, I mean, I could say yes, and then, you know, they fight again, and, and he would lose. I, I don't know. I, it would be a fight worth watching. I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, I don't see that either. I just, like I said, I just would like to see it. Thank yeah, you. I would I'm like sure to see it, but again, would. you know, I think, I, again, I think a loss, if hypothetically Brock and Fedor were to fight and Brock were to lose to Fedor, I just think it would do too much damage to the UFC's heavyweight division. I just don't really see it as, as a big, as benefit. A big uh, benefit to them. I hear what you're saying. I, I wasn't even looking at it as benefiting any any um, company or anything. Right. I just want to see the fight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people talking. do. Yep. There you go. All right, Slick, you got anything else? No, not right now, man. I just want right. to, you know, I just want to say the interview was great, and, you know, Thank you. whatever you do with your current site and the new site, I wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. No problem. Have All a happy right. holiday. Bye, you too. All right, Slick. Later. All right, Let's see who else we got here. You picked Clay Guida to beat Kenny Florian. Yes, I did. You're on the air. Who's this? Hello. Hey, Rob. What's going on? What up, Rick? How's it going? How's it going? Hello, Rachel. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Very, very good. Um, um, I'm gonna ask a question that's probably posed a lot to um people who are fans of MMA. I'm just a, you know, I'm a. I'm becoming a fan of MMA, but I've been a boxing fan, like, all my life. And I guess my question is, what will it take for 
for MMA to get to the point where it's either almost as popular or as popular as boxing has been in the past? That's a good question, and I would be lying if I said I was a big or a big boxing fan or super knowledgeable in boxing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just starting to, I would say, learn boxing. Um, you know, I I started the sport or covering the sport of MMA, uh, and everyone was saying, oh, boxing's dead, boxing's dead. And, of course, the people that were saying that were people around me who are all, you know, MMA-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think MMA is definitely the fastest-growing sport. It's I'd have to look at stats, but I'm guessing it's probably growing much at a much quicker rate than boxing ever did. Um and I guess, you know, in some areas you could say MMA is probably um, a bigger sport than boxing, you know, in, in certain regions or certain countries. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm learning boxing, and I have just started a boxing site. Um, I have it up. I haven't posted anything yet. I'm waiting for my first interview to happen. Um, you know, I don't think boxing's dead. Boxing's far from being dead. Um, however, I do think that MMA will hopefully surpass the fanship of, of boxing. I think it will eventually. It's just that um, you got to look at it as um, hand-to-hand combat has been around for you know as long as you know people have been walking around and this right. is going on in the Roman in the Roman Colosseum. This is going on in all types of places. It, it reverted. It, it changed into boxing. It changed into wrestling. You know, Greco-Roman wrestling. It's just that you know it's just we've uh, you know like we have a you know, people, like, the world have evolved so much. We've gone away from that stuff. But, again, we're now we're going back to it. But, you know, some people have a hard time digesting it. When it's just this, it, it's, the, it's the oldest sport. It really is the oldest, you know, type of competition. One man or one woman versus another man or another woman. It's the same, you know, we, that's how things started. That's how sport evolved. And, you know, it's, it's just people taking, I guess, time to digest it. You know, you know that's actually kind of what, that's what appeals to me about boxing is just the history of the sport and mm-hmm. you know, how culture has has made the sport what it is today. So that's what's mm-hmm. appealing to me about it. But I mean, it it, it is all interesting. I mean, I still, I still like it. I mean, uh, and it, it is very interesting because there is a lot of strategy. There is a lot of you know, one 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 man can beat another man on any given day, just like any other sport where. If you have the right tools, not just physical tools, but mental tools and just uh, strategic tools, you can take down a bigger opponent, which is what, you know, that's the story. Everybody likes the underdog, and that happens. So, you know, exactly. it's, it's, it's compelling stuff. It is. I completely agree. But I forgot to give you that. And what up, Rich? I forgot to give my first call, and hopefully this will be the first to start of many. Keep doing your thing. We definitely support and appreciate what you're doing out here. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. No doubt, man. Now it's time for me to uh, go to bed, so I'll catch you out there, man. You know, all right, man. Keep going, all right, Peace. man? There. Thanks, bro. Later. Good night. Peace. Bye. All right. I think we have one more. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Rich. How's, how's it going, Rachel? Hi. Who's this? What's going on? Oh, this is Dave. This is Dave from Denver. Hi. I'm sorry. So my question is about women in MMA. How, <laughs> how successful do you feel a show like The Ultimate Fighter would be on, say, like the Wii Channel with with all women? 
Um, weren't they talking about doing that? What okay. happened? I I've heard I have heard that before, and I think that that would be you know just me personally answering, and you know you your answer is uh, just as important. But I think it would be fantastic because you know what it is a lot of there's a lot of good women fighters that have no exposure. And I think that what that's what's happening is the marketing machine is marketing, you know, the pretty faces. It's like, you know, Chris Cyborg Santos has a wealth of talent. She's a fantastic fighter. But, you know, they don't market her as formidably as they do, you know, a Gina Carano or, uh, you know, an Aaron Tavill or a uh, Marlos Cohen, you know? Right. I, I agree. I think it would be a great show. I definitely think it's something worth watching. I don't think the, the Wii channel is... Um, or Oxygen or anything like that is, is the right network for it. I think it's still a spike, you know, versus type of demographic of people that would want to watch it. I think you're right. They I think might the reason why women. A little bit too much? No, I, I mean, it depends on how it's edited, right? But I think it's still that demographic. You're not going to want, you know, the housewives or, you know, working moms who may be the Wii or Oxygen channel watchers aren't the ones <laughs> that I think would ever be interested in it. I think it's still the Versus or, or Spike TV demographic that would want to watch something like that. Um, I would hate to see it edited in any way that would be, you know, quote-unquote sexy, I think is the word that you use. Um, I would like to see it, you know, edited just as the ultimate fighter is and, and make it about training and, and fighting. Are there enough fighters to support it? Um, well, I think I think that's Rich's first point. You know, there's really not a good avenue or venue for for women fighters to be found like this. And who, who knows? I, I know there are a lot of female fighters even here in the Bay Area. I'm sure there are plenty of good fighters out there to support something like that for sure. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the time, Rich. Rachel, thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call. Thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate it. Not a problem at all. You guys take care. All right, man. See you around. And that's it. We have cleared the lines. Um, I guess uh, you and I are, are are good for the remainder of, of of the broadcast. I know you probably have some stuff to do. What time is it over there on the West Coast now? It's ten o five. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna just uh, wrap this up. But before I let you go, please um, give give us the big plug, if you'd be so kind. Um, for my site. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, again, <laughs> That's all right. again, again, check out MMAHotStuff.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter, twitter.com slash MMAHotStuff. I do have a couple of announcements that will be coming out, uh, if not later this week, then definitely next week. So check out for some good stuff coming. Um, definitely, once again, you know, to trail on that, head over to MMAHotStuff. Um, it's a great view at MMA, not only just from a woman's point of view, but also just in a non-critical fashion. There's no um, fanboy and no quote-unquote nut-hugging of fighters. Um, it's very unbiased, very straight to the point. Uh, she calls it like she sees it, and um, by all means, you know, I would appreciate all our listeners to support her and um, her view on combat sports because it's very refreshing and it's not – you know, it's not something that should be taken lightly, and I really hope that the way she presents it can be um, better for the sport and help move the sport forward. On top of that, I really hope that more women fans come on board that have as much knowledge as you've gained in, in the interim just because it will make the sport better and it will make, make for better conversation as opposed to 
oh, I like that guy with the good tan. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's none of that. Um, I definitely um would would love to have you back if if you're interested in doing so. I, you know, at least if you'd like to be on, maybe you know, once a month we could talk some fights, have a Sounds few laughs. Great. Sounds great. Uh, sounds good. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You have a good night, and um, you know, stop stop by mytakeradio.com. I'm gonna you know, put up something nice for you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the support. You got it. Thank you for uh, being a great guest and uh, sticking around. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. With that said, folks, we have um, 22 minutes of show left. Um, just want to run through a couple of other news items. By all means, please, uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, give Rachel a shout-out um, or stop by MMAHotStuff.com. Dot, dot com dot com I am severely exhausted for some reason. I think the um Red Bull or whatever the fuck I drank is wearing off. But uh Oh, look at Ant talking shit in the fucking chat room. Fucking hit stop if you don't want to listen to the outro, you shit dick. <laughs> anyway, um and I love you guys uh in the chat. I just gotta break a few balls. Uh, nonetheless, uh, like I was saying earlier, I was running through the uh, wrestling news a little bit. Um, I uh, mentioned uh, the passing of Alexis Pillman, the daughter of Brian Pillman. Um, very unfortunate. She was 26 years old and passed away f- um, from a car accident. Uh, definitely not, you know, not the way to go, especially when you're so young and you have such a promising career. It's uh, very unfortunate. Nonetheless, like I said, I wish... Uh, and extend my condolences to the uh, Pillman family. Um, Also in some wrestling news, this is a bit of a uh, what-the-fuck moment. Um, It seems that WWE will be putting out comic books. Uh, They're going to be working with a company called Titan Publishing. Um, I actually had the opportunity to see some of of their work for the upcoming WWE Heroes line of comic books. Here's a synopsis of issue number one. Issue number one reveals an eternal rivalry set against the backdrop of the history of WWE. Why is the ruthless Shadow King so obsessed with WWE? What is the reason for his eternal and supernatural war with the firstborn? And could his ancient opponent really be a member of the WWE roster? That is the synopsis, folks, for issue number one. Right off the bat, I guarantee you that the firstborn is the Undertaker. Definitely not. I, I guarantee that that's what it's going to be, and the Shadow King is probably going to be some lame old villain. Um, the artwork is going to be done by uh, Liam Sharp, who's worked on you know the Hulk, X-Men, Spider-Man, and Venom books, as well as Gears of War, Superman, and Batman. Uh, WWE Heroes number one will go on sale March 23, 2010. Now, let me tell you something, and I'm going to be really up front about this. I love comics. I love everything associated with comics. There's just some shit that needs no comic tie-in. Wrestling, folks, is one of those things. I mean, when I heard rumors, there's a rumor going around that they're going to make a movie uh, based on the origin of The Undertaker, which is one of those things that is uh, 
while it, it, it is kind of cool, the overall uh, perception of something like that would be very, very poorly received. No one really gives a shit about the Shadow King and what it has to do with wrestling. Here's how wrestling works. Wrestling is the male equivalent of a soap opera, all right? You tune in every week. The good guy gets his ass beat, comes back, fights the bad guy. People cheer. You know, hokey stuff happens. People die, and they come back, just like comic books. That would be great, you know, because that's what wrestling is. Wrestling is a giant real-life comic book. The fact that there's a, a panel that I saw that had Triple H dressed as the similar Conan the Barbarian costume that he wore at WrestleMania. That right there shows me that this is destined for the 99 cent bin. But nonetheless, um, I will be posting up some wonderful images of that on MyTakeRadio.com between tonight and tomorrow. So I sincerely hope that you guys stop by and please share your input because it's definitely worth looking at because it is amusing. Um, to close out the wrestling news, we're going to slowly tip a 40 for ECW because it seems that ECW, the brand, may be phased out. Um, after some preliminary meetings with uh, the Sci-Fi Network, it seems that since their ratings have been dropping, uh, the, current w, the current deal that's set up for ECW is ending this month. You know, WWE, of course, is going to look to improve ratings and freshen up the product. And initially, they were going to get rid of ECW and introduce a magazine-style show. And that got shot down by Sci-Fi because, you know, that they want to get that large demographic. So the new pitch is that they're going to create a brand that focuses on just new talent. And um, it seems that when, the show, when ECW debuted on Sci-Fi, it had a solid 2.0 rating. And right about now, it's averaging about a 1.0. So the appeal has been lost. And I'm going to say it right now. ECW died when WWE bought it. Put it like this. When Rob Van Dam, Tommy Dreamer, and the rest of the ECW originals were there, along with the new guys, I felt that there was hope for that brand. ECW, to me, has a lot of significance because some of the greatest talents in the game honed their craft in ECW. Stone Cold Steve Austin, ECW. The late Chris Benoit, ECW. Perry Saturn, Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, um, fucking, who the fuck else did I leave out of there? Uh, Shane Douglas, Brian Pillman. If you go down the list, uh, the, the late Chris Candido, the, you go down the list of just phenomenal athletes, most roads, Taz, you know, how the fuck can I forget Taz, most roads lead through ECW. Those three letters were synonymous with a revolution in wrestling in terms of just bloodshed and violence. You know, ECW was one of the first shows that I saw in wrestling where there was cursing, where, where the fans really interacted with the wrestlers. There was such heat. I remember I saw ECW once at the Elks Lodge, and the Dudley Boys came out, and they were, they were the, the, the bad guys at the top of their game. And they just shitted on the fans. They're like, ah, shut the fuck up, you fucks. And it was crazy because I had never been in such an environment of violence, you know. It's like at any second, it really felt like the fans were going to jump the railing and fuck people up. Um, 
of course, one of, uh, Slick in the chat said Mick Foley. How can I forget? You know, Mick Foley uh, was in there as Cactus Jack. You know, you could even go and, and go into Terry Funk. You can go into Raven. You know, these are all guys that, that they, their blood, sweat, and tears built the foundation of ECW. And it hurts my feelings to see, you know, it bastardized to such an extent. I really felt that by using this fresher approach, it was definitely going to move it forward. But unfortunately, on the same token, I knew that there were going to be some changes put into place. But it's become a shadow of itself. You don't see hardcore matches because WWE is catering to the younger demographic. You don't see any of that nature. And to me, that's one of the things that made ECW great. Um, over the coming weeks, I'm going to do a, uh, my take spotlight on other wrestling organizations, NWA, TNA, uh, Dragon Gate and Ring of Honor, just because there's other wrestling companies out there that are televised that, for some reason, like, Ring of Honor is a great promotion. Some great wrestlers came out of Ring of Honor. CM Punk, Samoa Joe, uh, The Amazing Red, Jerry Lynn, Nigel McGuinness. The, the list goes on. And, you know, um, Chris Sabin, AJ, um, not AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels. Uh, just great wrestlers that came out of that organization. And I'm more than sure that People aren't watching Ring of Honor for whatever reason, and you definitely should check it out. I'm going to try and put up a little bit of background on, about the company as well as some video of some of the matches, and you can, you know, you can catch that. You, I believe they are right now being broadcast on HDNet. Those of us here in New York, of course, got fucked by Time Warner, and uh, they took HDNet away. But those of you that have cable in other states or in other countries may be able to pick it up on whatever uh, version of HDNet is out there, and you can definitely check out Ring of Honor. Dragon Gate, I've only seen a lot of their matches on the web. Uh, to my knowledge, they do have some pay-per-view stuff, and I'm going to try and get a little bit of that stuff as well. But um, it's one of those things where these organizations have a wealth of talent, and by all means, you know, they just, they're just not getting the love they deserve, and I feel that ECW has... Uh, run its course, and you know what, if you're going to end it, then at least uh, hopefully they'll end it with some dignity. We'll see what happens. Um, Mortis actually brought to my attention that Mick Foley started in WCW slash NWA, and he is right, but um, in terms of Mick Foley evolving into the character that he is, I felt that ECW was the what made him turn the corner, and WWE just put him over the top in the sense that when he was Cactus Jack in ECW, you know, you saw him and Terry Funk have, you know, barbed wire death matches, light pole matches, all of that shit. And, you know, that was an ECW staple that created legends that, you know, added to their legacy. Uh, Mick Foley, when he came into WWE, of course, the Mankind character, off to a slow start, just grew by leaps and bounds. Uh, his little turn as Dude Love, while forgettable, added to the legacy of Mick Foley, and who can forget uh, Mick Foley winning the WWE Championship. I think that, you know, Mick Foley's one of those guys that he's been in every organization, but ECW, I'm more than sure, has, has a uh, special significance for him. And it seems I see someone's holding. I think it may be Dave, but I'm not sure if he's calling in. Let me see. Caller, you're on the air. Nope, guess not. Guess he's not on the air. All right. With that said, um... You know, I really am kind of saddened by the uh, quote-unquote passing of ECW. It's highly unfortunate. 
But, you know, if they're going to do something to promote some of the younger talent, I'm all for it because uh, a lot of these old guys, you know, they, they need to start passing the torch. And there's a lot of um, potential up-and-coming wrestlers that will definitely uh, set the organization on fire, and I hope they get a chance to shine. Um, I have a, a decent num- amount of game news, but I know that with 10 minutes left, I'm just going to touch on a, a few things. Um, Killer Instinct is being rumored to be uh, something that's going to be used in Project Natal. I don't know how legitimate it is, but it seems that uh, the head of Rare Studio, Mark Betteridge, has stated that Killer Instinct IP is still something that Rare considers valuable. However, he believes that if a sequel were to be made, it would have to break away from the traditional mold of fighters such as Street Fighter IV. Uh, Brederich stated that he thinks it's something different than a conventional controller, and he wants to do something with the Project Natal uh, system that's being created for the uh, 360. Um, Obviously, they don't want to go with the Wii. Uh, They want to go with something a little bit uh, more technologically advanced, I think that the 360 is a great platform. I don't really think that the um, PS3 platform is fully tested. I haven't seen um, a full understanding of the interface yet. So I think that, you know, Rare is, you know, always going to try and get into bed with Microsoft first. And I think that they definitely would benefit from putting Killer Instinct out there because, you know, while there is a wealth of fighting games out there, Killer Instinct is a guilty pleasure to a lot of uh, my fellow fighting game fans for a multitude of reasons. I mean, their their combo system, while ridiculous, was uh, innovative at the time. And, you know, it had really great and, you know, legendary characters. One of my favorites, you know, being Glacius as well as Cinder. They were, you know, favorite characters of mine at the time. And I think that, you know, those characters would benefit um, from the high-def treatment. It's very unfortunate that we'll never see... Uh, the original Killer Instinct games on any virtual console, given the uh, the issues with Nintendo and Rare. But who knows? One day, you know, something something may happen where we may get to see these these original games again. But I think that bringing the IP back to the forefront is a plus for Rare, and there's definitely money making opportunities there if it is done correctly. Because like anything else, they could bring it back, and it could just be a bag of shit. So. I'm hoping that they do it right and that Killer Instinct sees a resurgence. Um, Black Friday, of course, came and went. I did not go out Black Friday. I didn't buy a fucking thing because I refused to partake in the madness. Not only that, but I really had no desire to catch a charge that night. But nonetheless, uh, Nintendo's already talking about huge numbers that they made. From November 22nd to November 28th, they sold 550,000 Wii units and 1 million DS units. Nintendo claims that the DS sales break the handheld hardware record set by the Game Boy Advance during the same period. This is an indication, of course, that the DS and the Wii are going to definitely be number one and two when the MPD numbers come out uh, later on, you know, later in the next few weeks. Um, of course, Sony, not to be outdone, took the opportunity to announce that they sold 440,000 PS3 units during the holiday week. And uh, a, a crazy little nugget of information, they sold more units during that holiday week than they sold in the entire month of October, which is ridiculous. Um, it also seems that, my, you know, even though Microsoft hasn't released their numbers, I'm more than sure they moved a substantial amount of systems just because there were so many great games out. One of the things that amuses me 
is the fact that, you know, you got Nintendo just just hammering it in. And it, it's crazy that they moved 550,000 Wii units when the only marquee title out there is a remake of an old Mario game. But I also see the allure in parents, um, you know, getting something cheap and readily available. Because the Wii now, there's no shortage. You can practically walk into any store and get it. And I think that the fact remains that in terms of, you know, family gatherings, you know, there's no other time where more family is gathered than during Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, I'm more than sure there's a, a couple of other times, but the major holidays where large amounts of family are together are for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And uh, something on the magnitude of the Wii definitely is going to see a resurgence just because of the fact that they, um, you know, cater to the family demographic as well as the casual gamer. But nonetheless, when I get the MPD numbers uh, within the next few weeks, um, we'll be able to go into it a little bit in more detail. Um, the PSP Go, I really wanted to get into this a little bit, seems that it's not going to be UMD-less for long. It seems that Logitech is working on a, a third-party peripheral that you can attach to the PSP Go that would allow you to play the UMD games uh, by connecting into the memory stick jack. I personally think that um, it's going to definitely add a lot of size to the PSP Go, but it also opens up the possibilities now for the PSP Go to start earning a little bit more market share. I definitely think that the PSP is going to sell nowhere near the numbers that the DS sold unless they come out with something just mind-blowingly insane. Um, it's very unfortunate because from a technological standpoint, uh, the PSP is the superior system from a hardware standpoint. But in terms of software and just overall enjoyment, people just love the DS, man, which is, you know, it's, it's very strange that, they, you know, the PSP hasn't gained any kind of foothold because of the possibilities that the system has. I mean, I'm more than sure that, that the modding community is to blame to some extent, but you know what? There are modding cartridges for the DS that allow you to do some of the same shit and the DS is still moving major numbers. I think part of it is the fact that price definitely plays an issue, especially when relating to the PSP Go. But on top of that, I also think that Sony's strategy in terms of the games that they put out is not as uh, strong as it should have been. I think Nintendo has the best marketing strategy in terms of putting out uh, some of their better first-party titles on the DS and their titles that everybody can pick up and play and enjoy. And on top of the fact, they also tend to innovate in such a way that people are easily um, entranced by playing these new innovations. You know, a dual-screen Game Boy, when it first came out, I was like, ah, oh, this is going to suck. Now look at it. Everywhere I go, people are playing a DS. Um, same thing with the Wii. When the Wii was first announced, I really thought that it was destined for failure. And look at it now. 550,000 units during the week of Thanksgiving alone. But uh, with that said, uh, there's three minutes of show left. I just want to, of course, uh, give thanks to everybody who's been listening. I appreciate all of you guys tuning in, calling, emailing, and contributing. Those of you that are at planning on entering the art contest, remember I need your entries by December 10th. Um, results as well as prizes will be uh, discussed on the show for December 17th. So if you plan on entering the contest, please forward your entries by the 10th. I would appreciate it greatly. With that said, uh, 
couple of plugs, of course, uh, the plug for Rachel's website, MMAHotStuff.com. Uh, last week, we had Hayden Dalton and Ran Heimdawa from Darksiders on, so definitely go check out Darksiders.com, and as well as HaydenDalton.wordpress.com. Um, Brooks McBeth, if you guys want to check him out, head over to uh, Facebook and look for Brooks McBeth or YouTube slash Brooks McBeth. With that said, I am done for this evening. If you want to follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash akuma25 or twitter.com slash mytakeradio. Um, if you're on Facebook, show us a little love. Head over to the My Take Radio Facebook fan page and become a fan. With that, folks, this has been My Take Radio, episode 22 for Thursday, December 3rd, 2009. I will catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. I'm out. Peace.